Welcome to episode nine of the Cinesnob Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And this is Kiko Martinez. Hey, uh, busy week this week, guys. Five movies. Five whole movies. Five yeah. movies that we got to see. One that we didn't get to see. Well, some of us got to see all of them. I don't know. Yeah, I think we are. Each of us is missing one of them. Do we, have, do we have lives? I'm missing one movie. <laughs> no, I was talking about another movie that we didn't get to see. Uh, persecuted that we wanted to see. Oh, remember? Yeah, I hope uh, we get to circle back to that one someday. Uh, yeah, it's one of those, another one of the long line of uh, kind of uh, conservative backed films that have, it's been a big year for those movies, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. Is Kevin Sorbo in this one? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, no Dinesh D'Souza. But there, it does. You know what? I was talking to Cody about this. It had a really competent trailer for one of these films. I don't know if you saw the trailer. I didn't watch it. I just read the synopsis and couldn't stop laughing, basically. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to turn off like half of our audience at this point. <laughs> I, I mean, it's. I mean, the, okay, I, I don't think that, that saying that a synopsis that says that so, uh, there's a threat to end religion is, is like... <laughs> oh, it, was, it was a legislation on, that was uh, featuring sweeping religious reform. Yeah, right? but, it, but the last line of the trailer is, could it end religion? Like, oh, did it? I didn't get or, that I mean, Not the trailer, the, uh, the synopsis. synopsis. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't read that far. I watched the trailer and I was surprised how competent it was. Yeah, uh, it didn't look as bad. But again, I mean, these type of movies... Just to let people know, we don't watch them, not because we don't want to watch them, but because they're oh, yeah. 99.9% never screened for us or never, yeah. we're never given the opportunity to They're see given them. to certain outlets, and we won't name any names, yeah. that may perhaps grant them favorable reviews. Let me uh, – I, I need to amend. The last line of the synopsis is uh, the coming storm of persecution that will threaten the entire Christian community in America. Okay, that's a little different than in religion, but <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. But yeah, so we wanted to see it, but they they turned us down, right? You asked. Well, I asked, but I didn't get a response. Yeah, which so. is kind of weird. Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and move on to the news this week. It's time for the real rundown, recapping this week in movie news. All right, first up this week, there was a kind of opinion piece on NPR. Yeah, about. Graduated ticket prices for films. Cody, what are the details? Yeah, this was a this was a segment on. Um, I don't know if, if Kiko sent it. I don't know if it was. Did you hear it on the radio? Or yeah, I heard it on the radio. I think okay. it was live. It might have been a, a repeat, like from a couple of days before that. But um. yeah, Kiko is is cultured, so he listens to NPR. <laughs> I listen to NPR also. I don't. Really? Yeah. So I don't know what's going my, on. You know, but I'm maybe kind of a philistine because my favorite thing on NPR is car talk. <laughs> <laughs> and those are all reruns now. So. Yeah. Well, they're weird. They're weird like zombie because they still obviously record some new stuff because they'll have like current mentions, usually in the bumps. Oh, really? But yeah, most of it's just recorded stuff. And that's only on the weekend though, right? Yeah. Saturday mornings, baby. Listen to car talk. Go to garage sales. That's a, that's a Saturday morning for me. Anyway, Cody. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, we should take this with kind of a grain of salt because this comes from, like, an economic podcast as opposed to, or a radio show, as opposed to looking at it from a movie standpoint. But the, the, the essential idea of it is movie theaters can maximize their profits by having, like, flex ticket pricing. And what this means is basically if you see a really crowded movie where it's, the theater is full, um, the theory is that you should not charge the same ticket price as a theater that has, like, ten people in it. So... You take the movies that have like Friday night, seven o'clock, um, and it's a really huge blockbuster, and you bump up the ticket prices. Mm -hmm. And then movies that have nobody in them, you start lowering them to get people to come in, and that's the basic. So basically, op opening night Avengers, two thirty 
two part two, the Age of Ultron, thirty dollar. Listen to him go. He knows the names wow. of the the future right? comics. I'm impressed. So that's what that's what you're saying, right? I yeah. Mean, yes. Essentially, like a. You know, you're paying to see it early at the most desirable time. Right? Yes, yeah, and you can even—I mean, there's so many variables you can do. You can do it at the uh, what particular theater you see it at. If you live in a really big populated city, you could boost it up even further. Um, so yeah, I, that's that's the general. And, idea. and the reason is because uh, sport, sporting, uh, the sporting industry does this. I mean, mm-hmm. um, tickets to NBA games are a lot more expensive during the playoffs yeah. are a lot more expensive when they're playing the Lakers yeah. than not so much anymore these days. Well, but... yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. And concerts as well, like a bigger band, uh, you know, it will, will draw higher ticket prices than somebody, some, you know, less popular band at the same venue. Exactly. Or if, you know, a, a bigger band with the smaller venue will boost up the ticket price because limited seats yeah. demand is high. And so, it's, I mean, it's 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 more it's more of an economic do, thing. But... Do you think this would ever be put into par- into practice? No, no. <laughs> never. The I don't think that the average consumer would stand for this at all. They would, you know, come to the theater with pitchforks and torches. And H- haven't some some theaters tried this though around the nation with a, sort of a premium option? You know, you get to see it in a theater that uh, maybe doesn't have kids in it. Maybe you get a. a you get like a I I can't remember the details, but maybe you're promised a copy of the movie on DVD when it comes out, you know, six months down the line or whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I mean, they, they do have uh, theaters around here. They do have the no kid thing, but yeah. but it's it's no it's not like a bigger price. Mm-hmm. Um, only when you have like IMAX or whatever will 3D. you see. Could you imagine how much a ticket's going to cost if you like watch it in IMAX the night? Opening night with D box seats. Oh yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> in three D. In three D. The thing is, I think that people go to the movies because, you know, well, they go to the movies knowing what they're going to pay to a certain degree. And I think that if you just have like a, a board up at the front where the the prices are always fluctuating, it's going to piss everyone off. And and uh, and I mean, there's a few. I mean, the piece talks a little bit also about taking bad movies. And lowering the prices, so you're essentially saying, as the person walks up, "Hey, this movie sucks. So why don't you like just a, pay like, you know, like four or five dollars?" Like a sale price on a movie, right? Like a discount yeah. for something that's not moving as well. Well, yeah. not, not necessarily sucks. Just not necessarily. I mean, it's just not um, well attended. I mean, well, it could be read into that as well. Yeah. And it, I mean, are we just talking about you know mainstream movies, or I mean, because I mean, independent movies aren't going to make the money that. Well, yeah, but I think I, I think that I mean I think that applies to almost anything where the independent movies aren't going to do, and you don't usually find independent movies at like a multiplex or whatever. Well, what would the would is the was the piece talking about? Now I didn't I didn't get to listen to it or read it. Did it talk about like the prices actually fluctuating, like like a stock price sort of, like a like a market price for the film, or was it just yeah, like say this would be thirty dollars and this would be ten dollars no matter what? No, it was fluctuating. No, fluctuating. Yeah. Oh, well, so okay. if it stays popular, if it's still number one in, in the fifth or sixth week, it's the you know the ticket price is going to be up there. Yeah. How, how much would you pay for a ticket? Because we don't normally have to pay for movies these days. But if you had yeah. to, how much would you pay for a, a Age of Ultron? A ticket if you wanted to watch it. Oh God! My, opening night. My price limit on stuff like that would probably be twenty bucks. Okay. And the thing is, I guess if you go at night, at least in this area, I'm sure in different areas around the country, it's different. But we're looking at like nine to eleven dollars for like a regular movie ticket uh, at yeah. night. Yeah. 
Yeah, non-matinee prices around here locally are usually about 10 bucks. Yeah. So we're talking like in the event of this flex pricing like $20, like 15 to 20 bucks just for like a regular movie, no IMAX, no anything. Uh if you go see a really popular movie on like a Friday night or a Saturday, which is just crazy. I mean, it's it's crazy. <laughs> if you think about it though, it's there is kind of like a flex pricing thing now when you think um if if you look at some of the movies that don't do so well, they get kicked down to the dollar movie theaters, yeah. Yeah. which is kind of like, you know, okay, they're not doing well, we're going to throw them over here and you can pay a buck 50 to see them. So, um I guess that would be the the ones that go there quicker than the others, right? Exactly. Cause, I mean, because they all end up, yeah. they all end up being. But so sometimes they're they're like after three weeks, it's just like yeah. Wow. You ever notice? You ever drive by the dollar theater and you'll see something that like hit DVD like three or four weeks ago? Is yeah, still yeah. Playing there. That's such a strange phenomenon. Well, they to me. do. I mean, they do that. Like, I mean, the the art house theater here was throw, was showing Grand Budapest Hotel like a week or two after it came out on DVD. They were still they were still, still showing, showing it. it. So. uh that and, may be a different crowd, though, I think, you know, more of an experience. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's. I, I would like to see – Grand Budapest is kind of bigger in scale for an indie. Um, maybe you need to see it on bit, the big screen than at home on my 85-inch TV. <laughs> <laughs> you can appreciate those shifting aspect ratios more on the <laughs> yeah, big screen exactly. than you can on your TV. Uh, but I, I don't think it'll happen, personally. Well, yeah. No, I, I mean, I think that it can happen. I don't think the movie studios would let it happen. Because they negotiate the ticket prices with the theaters, so well if they could get more money, I think they would definitely make it happen. They would, but no, but I mean that's we're talking about for the movies that are huge blockbusters. Oh, for well, everything else, true. And the theater experience is eroding anyway, every right. year. You know, as as you know, Kiko's got an eighty-five inch TV. Yeah, you right. Know? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, everybody. I think we all have nice TVs that we. You know, we've talked about this before with with watching sporting events. I mean, it's it's almost better to watch it at home mm-hmm. than to to pay the high ticket prices to go see it in person. Yeah. Oh, I mean, <laughs> speaking of eighty five inch TV, there's a, a LG TV came out with an eighty five inch. Did you see that um, that commercial that they put out? It was like a, I don't think so. Uh, what do they call it? like a blooper? Like not a blooper, but a prank. Uh huh. And they put an oh, eighty five. Yeah. Did you see it? Yeah, I saw that. It's an eighty five inch TV, and they make it look like a window. <laughs> to an, like to look out, looking out on the on the city, so these people start coming in for job interviews, uh. and so they're in front of the boss, and then all of a sudden they're watching like this, out you know they think they're looking outdoors, but then they <laughs> see like this bomb land in the city, <laughs> and it starts imploding the whole city, and like the actual, <laughs> the actual um like uh, the shockwave, the shockwave is coming at them, <laughs> and then they flick off the lights when it hits the. Because the smoke comes wow. up over. Yeah, and people are f- freaking out. Like, you have to check it out. It's I need funny. to check that out. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to our next topic. We got a viewer question. I'm sorry, a listener, listener. question. Viewer, listen to me. <laughs> we got a listener question. Cody, do you have the question? I do, yeah. This comes from uh, Robert. And he says, um, his question is, uh, what movie have we rewatched the most and why? And he says either because it was a childhood favorite, something on TV a lot, or it was the first store-bought VHS, or he says, in my case, my first Blu-ray. Uh, <laughs> Cody's uh, first iTunes download. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, uh, or something that we genuinely love and ended up watching over and over. You start, Kiko. Uh, well, I mean, I've, I, when you're little, you watch things over and over again. So I think that that's probably the case for me. I mean, I think I've seen... The original Karate Kid, the one with Ralph Macchio, mm-hmm. probably a hundred times in my life. 
Does it so, hold up now, though? Oh, totally. But I don't. I don't know how much it, of if it is a nostalgic factor or the fact that it's just a good sports movie. I think it's a good sports movie. I can kind of differentiate um, mm-hmm. between what I've seen that when I was younger and it was crap, and I watch it now. I'm like, oh, why did I watch that ten times? Well, it's row? something that still gets referenced. Uh, <laughs> in fact, in wish I were he- wish I was here, referenced Karate Kid. Oh yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. Um, and so um, that one, and then also, it's. I mean, like we're talking about things have been changed so much in you know the movie industry and the way they show up movies but every year when the wizard of oz came out once a year i would definitely watch that so what since the age of five till what like maybe 15 so you know plus a few in, in between i mean wizard of oz was something that i watched all the time because it came out on tv on tv yeah my the the when growing up, that's what we had was a TV recording of The Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I know the McDonald's commercials <laughs> in, that, in that recording better than uh, better than I know parts of the movie. Right. But it was, it's, that's crazy if you think about it because that was like the only time you could watch it was once a year. And it's like everybody like gathered around and yeah. watched The Wizard of Oz on that one. The one night. The one night that it would come on. <laughs> well, mine, uh, my movie is Back to the Future. Um, I don't remember seeing it. I, I know I didn't see it in the theater, but I can remember being on vacation uh, for Thanksgiving with my family in uh, Rockport, Texas, and yeah. we went to a video store. Uh, that was back before Blockbuster had came in, had come in and destroyed all the local video stores. So we went to a local video store. I remember my cousin telling me about it, and we rented Back to the Future, and I loved it. And I, I mean, since then, I must have seen that a hundred times, and whenever it's on, I can't not watch it. And I think it definitely holds up. Um, oh, yeah. I, I could imagine. Yeah, that's one of the ones that... Just... In fact, uh, we were in uh, Los Angeles, my fiancé and I, two years ago. And, of course, we went to Universal Studios, and you get to see the clock tower. And uh, they have, uh, you know... Uh, um, <coughs> excuse me. Sorry. They had used to have the like the signs for his neighborhood. Do you remember the Lion Estates? Oh, right. mm-hmm. They used to have those like sitting on the back lot somewhere. And then well, I got mad. I love Back to the Future so much. I got mad that one day we were going somewhere and we stopped at a McDonald's. We were staying near Burbank, California, mm-hmm. and we stopped at McDonald's to get some breakfast. And only later that day did I realize we were like a block away from the Burger King. That's in the beginning of Back to the Future, <laughs> where he skateboards by. Uh, there's like a Burger King and a Toys R Us right there. We were we were like two blocks from there, and we could have gone to eat at this Burger King, and nobody would care. I'm sure it looked completely different now, <laughs> but the fact that we could have eaten at the Burger King that was in Back to the Future really, really bugged me that we had McDonald's instead. <laughs> what about you, Cody? Oh, I I don't want to answer this question because it's so bad. Um, Is it the Sandlot? No, you or- know you know what. So basically. Uh, I agree with you. It's that when you're a kid, that's when you really watch movies over and over again. And um, I used to share a room with my brother for a long time. And basically what we would do is over the summers, we would pick one movie and watch it every single night for like the entire (laughs) summer. So uh, there were three movies that come to mind for me that we did this with. And there are three completely embarrassing movies because this was before I I started, you know, taking movies seriously. The first one – is the new guy uh, with uh, DJ Qualls oh, wow. and Zoe Deschanel's in it? Terrible, terrible I, movie. I remember in the trailer of that movie. Hey, the trailer <laughs> yeah. of that movie. The the, uh, the second one was uh, Saving Silverman with wow. uh, with Jack Black, Jason Biggs, and Steve, Steve Zahn. Zahn. 
uh, and then the third one was a straight to it was a straight to video movie. It was um, a major league movie called Back to the Miners. <laughs> I don't think that was straight to video. Oh, I think that did it? hit theaters. Oh, I remember. I, I, it's like the lead actor in it is Scott Bakula. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that movie. Uh, and those were the three we watched over and over again. Now, if we're talking about like currently or, or nowadays, um, I find that uh, comedies are the ones that I find myself watching over and over again because – I you know because we see so many new movies it's so hard to just go back and watch stuff over and over again and I find that I I like to put on comedies in the background and do like other things and so I think my answer to this would probably be The Breakfast Club would be the wow. movie I've seen over and over again as I got older uh well that's crazy cuz I I would think you wouldn't be able to relate to that Yeah well it, it comes from that's like my mom's favorite movie and so she had us watch it probably too young <laughs> but uh but uh so i've seen i've seen that movie so many times i still uh, want to know what the punchline is to that joke that judd nelson's telling oh the one uh yeah <laughs> when he's in the ceiling yeah yeah, yeah. what is it I, I don't know that's, that's the one question. that's the one movie where judd nelson is cool oh yeah judd nelson is great in that movie i love judd, it. judd nelson is not cool right now no <laughs> my fiance tell, has a story when she was in la a few years ago separate from the time we went on our back how many to the times future. you go to la Three times this is a, year? a Hollywood Jared King right here. <laughs> I, I wish I went more. But uh, she talked about uh, ending up at a convenience store or something behind Judd Nelson, <laughs> who was buying toilet paper and vodka or something. <laughs> <laughs> Like when just you, a te- like the either like the just recovering from a terrible night or ready to start a terrible night. <laughs> if I was Jen Nelson, I would raise my fist everywhere I went. Like after you bought the toilet paper and vodka, like, those fingerless, yeah, colors, and walked yeah. out and just like, Ugh. God, can you imagine? <laughs> he was also uh, the voice of Hot Rod in the original Transformers animated film. Oh, was he? Hmm. That was the uh, that was my real ex- childhood exposure to Judd Nelson. I didn't get into the Breakfast Club until later. I wasn't really into that Brat Pack stuff. Were you? Um, it depends on what movie it was. I mean, if you count Ferris Bueller's Day Off, that's the one I was into. Well, yeah, of course. That's another movie I can rewatch over and over and over <laughs> again. Yeah, it's a good pick. So I'm, I'm really surprised by that, Cody. I'm just gonna say that 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 seems because that's what from uh, what year were you born? 91? 89. Sorry, that's four years before you were born. That yeah, movie came out but and... it's a movie where in like the peak of me watching it, I could have rattled off the entire movie as it was happening. Wow. Every piece of dialogue. I, you know what's another one for me is uh, going back is Step Brothers. Yeah. Whenever that's on, <laughs> I can watch it. Yeah, same with me in, in, in like like anything Apatow, really, I can go back and watch yeah. whenever. Like, I mean, I've seen like Knocked Up and 40-Year-Old Virgin a million yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I just, I just can't. Get over Step Brothers and the, the fucking Catalina wine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's go ahead and move on to our reviews this week. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we've got The Purge Anarchy. You should have never gotten involved. It's none of my business. Yeah. Okay, but you did, so it is your business now, all right? So what are we all going to Take do? This. It's loaded. Take it. Take it. Just giving us guns? Where are you going? I got somewhere to be before the sun comes up. I can't take you with me. You'll slow me down. We won't slow you down. So you're really just gonna leave us here? Stay off the streets. Find somewhere to go. Please take us with you. We are not the kind of people who will survive tonight. Let him go. He already doesn't want to help us. Shut up! What do you want me to do? Why did you save us if you're just gonna leave us here to die? Please 
All right, Cody, you didn't see this one. No. Uh, Kiko, you and I saw it. Why don't you start us off, Kiko? Well, just to put this in context, uh, I hate it. No, not hate it. I loathed the original one that came out last year. I mean, I thought it was just ridiculous. Is it loathed worth? worth is loathed worse than hated? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I would say so. Wow. Yeah. It sounds super, more venomous. Yeah, I loathe you. That does that hurts me a little bit. <laughs> I know you're just kidding. Yeah, I know. Uh, Ethan Hawke uh, was in the original. Um, he did, he doesn't come back for this one. Uh, we we have because he died. That's oh, why. Is that oh, why? Jeez, now, now I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> Remember, he died. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Um, he died in the movie that came out last year. Yeah. So. Um, Frank Grillo takes over for this. Uh, you might have seen Frank Grillo. You remember him? He was the uh, kind of jerk in uh, in um, Liam Neeson's um, the the wolf the, or the gray the, the, gray. <laughs> the wolf movie <laughs> the wolf movie the gray uh, which is way underrated movie for me. Um, Wasn't he also in Captain America? Yeah, and uh, then in Winter Captain Soldier? America, he, I, I checks in a snob dot net. Uh, we talk about I uh, got a chance to interview him, and we talk about his uh, career and how it's kind of you know getting. A lot better than it has been in the past 20, 30 years. Um, he's getting a lot of parts. Anyway, um, he, he, he does okay in this. Uh, I think that the f- this film, I mean, it's the, a lot of the same stuff that we got uh, from the first one. The only thing that I liked a lot better than uh, I did the, at the, in the original one is that we actually get to go out of a house. Uh, the, the first one, that's the, a b- real big problem that I had is that we were stuck in a house. Well, the premise is, if people don't know, that one night a year, murder... Well, m- one night a year, all crime is legal in the United States. Mm-hmm, right. Um, and apparently, most people just want to murder people. Right, right. <laughs> that's a big thing in the movie. Like That's all we see. We see masked um, you know, gangs running around trying to find people that have like gotten stuck outside somehow. And uh, they're killing them. Uh, no one steals sport. anything. No, no one, one steals, steals anything. anything. Nobody goes out and does any other kind of uh, crime. I mean, I'd be, I'd be like connecting my like a chain to like the ATM machines and dragging them down. <laughs> I'd be hooking up cable for free. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. copying DVDs. <laughs> there wasn't enough tax evasion crime that night. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be so, so yeah yeah game walking. <laughs> Oh, I'd be doing that all the time. What's that? Jaywalking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, get, get a little crazy. <laughs> so um, the reason that uh, this kind of expands on – because it does expand on the idea of the purge, um, this one night that you, you can do whatever you want basically. Uh, and it does go out into the city streets of Los Angeles, uh, which gives it a little bit more freedom to breathe or room to breathe. Uh, unlike the first one where nobody could find each other in their house. Like, oh, where, where's mom? Oh, she ran upstairs. It was a very we, big house, Kiko. We can't, yeah, it was a exactly. mansion. <laughs> and the lights were out. Come on. It was not a mansion, just to let people know. And, <laughs> and um, But this one, you're in the streets, you're running, you're hiding behind buildings and, you know, trash cans and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, and then we get the, uh, the the gang members who are, like, out there to kill people. And, I, I mean, again, it's the uh, same same old stuff. I mean, you're you're trying to, you know, this uh, Frank Grillo's, his whole thing is that he's trying to get revenge, or not revenge, yeah, revenge on, on, on the man that killed his son. So he gets uh, sidetracked when he meets these people that tr- are trying to survive, and he, he becomes a uh, good Samaritan and tries to keep them from getting their heads chopped off. So, yeah. Um, it gets really silly at the end, and uh, the kill scenes, if people are going for the kill scenes, aren't really great. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it, it's basically... There's a lot of uh, CGI blood that <laughs> looks like CGI blood. Right, right. If, if, 
Yeah, if you're in, if if you like squibs, we, we don't have any squibs here. It's, <laughs> it looks like all everything looks like machete kills. Yeah, like machete just kills this, blood. Regardless, just ridiculous. <laughs> and I think that was meant to be ridiculous. So this isn't. This isn't. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, it didn't hold up for me. I mean, I you don't really care about the characters if they live or die at all. I mean, other than Frank Grillo. Yeah. Um, and then I, I won't spoil the ending, but I mean, the reason that he is going to kill somebody is like really hammered. His the anger that he has to 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 this man is really hammered on through the whole movie, and then when he gets there, I don't know why it ends the way it ends. I mean, there's no it's, reason that it ends the way it ends. It's yeah, not really, it's not really realistic. Well, yeah, as far as post-apocalyptic. Well, no, yeah. as far as his, his, not that, but as far as his, um, oh, his motivation. His, well, yeah. yeah, as far as the the way that he, you know, ends his. Rain, you know his his revenge, yeah, bloodlust. So I see what you're saying. Um, I, I did like this better than the first one, like you did. Um, I liked. I well, I I wanted in the first film they talk about the new founding fathers and they hint that, or they state that America fell into some kind of crisis and some some people came in as the new founding fathers and restored order and made the United States a utopia except for this one night a year when everybody gets to to do whatever they want to purge right um this movie tries to expand on that i think they totally blew it yeah they don't really talk about what really occurred and what really happens i mean it'd be nice to get a backstory about the founding fathers i don't think that's really so, I mean, and it's set in 2023, which is not far away from now. So, but it doesn't even look like there's no difference. Like, there's no reason it's set in 2023. Yeah, I would have believed it more, or it felt more realistic if it had been more post-apocalyptic. Like, if we had set it, you know, 100 years from now, and it looking a little bit more, you know, dead. Like, yeah, everything looked okay. Like yeah. LA was fine. Like, other than people having to kill people yeah, every year. You know, an interesting thing to me is. This film feels like you could apply whatever politics you feel like it, whatever, whatever, like whatever your political opinion is, you could apply it to this film. And I think that's strange. Like you could say like, oh, this is a right wing conspiracy thing because the new founding fathers are, you know, old white men. Yeah, old white men, at least the one that we do see. But then uh, you get the the Occupy Wall Street looking mask wearing people doing the killing. Oh, right. It's just. Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, and I've seen that opinion bandied around on the internet, you know, where, you know, oh, this is a, this is an indictment of President Barack Obama's policies, or this is a right-wing fantasy film, you know, that the poor get killed. And I, I just think it's such a mess, <laughs> it's just such a messy, like, setup that I don't even know why people try to, to bother with this stuff, but I guess it's out there because... And, yeah, and the fact that there's, you know, I mean, it could be a, a gun nut's favorite movie as yeah, well. Like, yeah, exactly. Movie. Because that's the only way you're going to protect yourself is with a gun. Right. Um, <laughs> and everybody has one in this one, basically. And I, uh, I don't know. I didn't hate it. I didn't like it, really. Um, it does leave the door open for a sequel. Because you get uh, Michael K. Williams basically playing <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson <laughs> uh, as some sort of anti-purge revolutionary. Uh, famous on YouTube for... yeah. Bringing together the cause, um, and he has some really great production values for a uh, like a revolutionary hiding in the shadows. That's true. He has a nice like like and he, he's pacing back and forth. I mean, it's just a a super hammy performance from Michael K. Williams channeling Samuel L. Jackson, <laughs> and he shows up 
near the end to save the day a little bit. Yeah, and then, and then you kind of never see him again. Yeah, so I assume that... Uh, and based on what happens with Frank Grillo's character uh, at the end, it sets up, I guess, more world-building for this franchise. It, it could, but I think that it could also just completely do what it did with the first one and just start a whole new story. Because this so? could go anywhere. I mean, the whole idea of the Purge could leak to other countries and we could get like a... You know, a movie set in South Africa and go back to that kind of stuff, or yeah, or we could go oh, to God. any, any. I mean, anywhere. I mean, it could. This could be picked up or implemented in another country, and we could see. I I, I think it's an interesting idea that I don't think has been executed well at all. I think in so. Either I, movie, good, good, good way to put it. Because yeah. I think it, it's a little too vague in the first film, too small scale, and this one is just a little too ham fisted about it. Uh, I you know I wanted to know more about the new founding fathers, but what we did get to find out was just stupid. Yeah. Um. You know, and I agree. that they're, you know, they might be behind some of the killings. Uh, I don't know. It's just it never nothing just just nothing felt original enough. I mean, well, it's original idea, but nothing felt like it was executed well enough. Yeah. Past the past the idea itself, they didn't really do anything special. So. All right. So. You- I I don't I don't recommend it at all. I mean, it's better than the first one. Take that with a grain of salt because I loathe the first one. <laughs> um, but I mean, no, it's not it's not a good movie. Yeah, I don't recommend it either. Cody, you didn't say anything about the Purge. I, Did you see the first one? No, I have I have no oh. reference point for anything. So no. I was just here. Who would you kill? Cody? Yeah, what would you do? What would, <laughs> what would you, you do, do Purge night? That's tough. I don't. I don't know. I would. Uh, he would cower in the corner. Yeah, I, exactly. I would. I would. I would like. <laughs> He's being put on the new guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just something to put me at ease. No, I would just like quadruple lock the door and lock myself in a closet and just wait for the night. I'd put on a mask, like a weird mask, and then just go out and hang out with the weirdos. Uh-huh. But like, be the dude that's always in the back. Right. <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, wouldn't kill anybody, but yeah, wouldn't I'm get purging. killed. I'm yeah, purging. Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> well, Frank Grillo brought that up. I asked him, of course, and he said he would go to Canada, so I think we should just go to, <laughs> well. go to Mexico. <laughs> it's right there. Is that really? Oh, wait. Yeah. Right, right, right. Never mind. Yeah. He'd probably get killed there, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next review, Sex Tape. How do you forget to erase your sex tape. Because it kept slipping my mind, and then the next thing I knew, it went up. It went up to the cloud. And you can't get it down from the cloud? Nobody understands the cloud. It's a mystery. Look, all that's happened here is there's been a very minor sinking mishap. This is not minor. You know what, Annie? I'm on there, too. Nobody cares about you. Nobody wants to watch you having sex. You said it yourself. Nobody cares about the guy. It's the woman that has to live with it forever. All right, Kiko, you didn't see this one. I, I didn't see it, but let me just say that that line about the cloud annoys the hell out of me. Oh, well, it, get, well, it gets better. Hold on. We'll get into it. Uh, Cody, you and I saw it. Why don't you start off, Cody? Yeah. Uh, where to start with this one? It's, you know, Jared and I were talking about this as we as we left the theater. Um, there are certain movies that have very little understanding of technology and how technology works, and they're shameless about it, and they don't even pretend to to do things. And this is one of those movies where it just treats technology as if, like, everyone in the audience is stupid and doesn't <laughs> – yep. and it's like, and it's like, oh, here's how this works, although not really. And uh, Believe it. Yeah. You and, all have this device in your pocket that does exactly what we're doing with it, but no, 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 yeah. no, that's not how it works. Exactly, and the premise is that, like, it was surreptitiously uploaded to the cloud, like he didn't do it on his own, and then they build in this, 
absolutely ridiculous plot line that he just gave for some reason he has like iPods like coming out of his ass that he's just like he gets like uh, five new ones all the time. Let's do a little plot uh, recap here. Cameron Diaz and uh, Jason Siegel are a married couple who started off sexy times all the time. Yeah, uh, they had two kids, and as it happens, they lost the spark. So the idea was to make a sex tape mm-hmm. to to rekindle their their relationship, and in the process. <laughs> For some reason, Jason Siegel, I guess, does the basically the same job Paul Rudd did in This Is Forty, like some vague music executive, mm-hmm. and he has stacks of iPod, iPads. Yeah, like he gets the, like, and it's just the stupidest exposition. Yeah, he gets, oh, here's your new iPad, sir, and he gets iPads delivered, and his because his the notion is that he fills them up with music and wants to keep them. Yeah, and then gives them away to give. Play, like a, to pass his playlists on to to other people mm-hmm. it's just the fucking stupidest setup yeah. <laughs> like no we know how this works like that's not you wouldn't and no one would ever give out an ipad like would still have their account information on it right exactly so so, <laughs> so they and then the to set it up that uh the sex tape getting out he uses some crazy app called frankensync that uh isn't the normal apple sync but it's something else that syncs everything on we are one device with another device, which I guess is that, a real thing. But okay. uh, still, you wouldn't give out something with your inf- like. It'd be like, here, Cody, I'm not done with this. I'm done with this phone. You can have it. <laughs> yeah. and it's still got all my numbers and shit yeah. in it. Like, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the basic premise of this, right? Right, and you know, I, I okay. That's it's uh, in the end, it's just a small part of the movie. The movie yeah. itself is not, is not it's it's not good. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's not completely unfunny. I mean, I. I I laughed maybe like I can probably count the amount of times I laughed on one hand, but um, you know I think just by having Jason Siegel in the movie, he's he's a naturally funny guy, and mm-hmm. and so there are some funny moments that come from him. You know the problem is every time you know it's a long drawn out thing where they try to they try to get the the tape from, and I say tape I mean the video file from the yeah the MP4 yeah, <laughs> from from new people. And it always ends on, ends up with a long drawn out thing that they do, only to be told by the other person, "Oh, you could have just you know done that." So it's like, <laughs> so it's like apparently there's he could have like remote deleted it from all the iPads. And yeah, that's something that I know, and yeah. I've never done that. Like yeah. I have an iPhone, I have an iPad, I have a Mac, and I know that because th- that's the deal. Like if you if it gets stolen or lost, you can brick it basically. You mm-hmm. can turn it into a useless piece of garbage. Right. And this is something that apparently. Because he has he has all this stuff. Like I mean, this might as well be a commercial for Apple. Because he has an iPhone, he has a, a, a iMac, he has a, a Mac PowerBook, he has a stack of iPads. Yeah. Like, like, how does he not fucking know? Yeah, how this Apple stuff works. Yeah. Also, weird weird product placement in uh, what what porn site did they use? Oh, uh, porn. Yeah, they used porn. That's the funniest part of the movie. The end. By yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, anyway. You know, like one scene that I that, that kind of illustrates this point is the scene. There's a scene where they go to Cameron Diaz's potential boss's house, played by Rob Lowe. Played by Rob Lowe, basically doing Chris Traeger. Yeah, he's basically doing from uh, Parks and Rec. Yeah, he's basically doing like a, a more eccentric Chris Traeger from from Parks and and it's it's a scene that feels like it's like half an hour long. It takes <laughs> forever because it involves them talking. And she's essentially stalling Jason Siegel, who is being chased and attacked by his uh, his dog. 
and it's it's just a scene that feels like it honestly takes up half the movie, and, and it has like an easy solution. And, but there's there's uh, some odd kind of uh, forgotten celebrity scandal callbacks in that scene. You're too young, and I mean I don't even remember it other than I read about it. Just Rob Lowe was one of the first celebrities to have a sex tape, mm. and it was with a uh, 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 like a performer from the Oscars. Who was dressed as Snow? Who performed as Snow White? Oh, I remember reading about that. So that's why you like it's a big old wink that there's a sex. This movie's about a sex tape, and Rob Lowe in the film has, for whatever reason, his character has these bizarre Disney paintings featuring his face in them. Yeah, and there's one where he's uh, one of the seven dwarves being comforted by Snow White. Yeah, and I don't know that it's a callback that anybody friggin' knows, other than they read about it later because this is 1989. Yeah, I think was this scandal. So it's not it's not a uh, I, I it's it's only a callback if you know it and otherwise it's just kind of a weird just mm-hmm. a weird weird vibe with the whole Rob Lowe scene. Yeah, and I don't know how you felt, but the um, I guess you would call it extortion plotline or or, uh, <laughs> yeah. or the the, uh, the blackmail plotline was just ridiculous. I just. Okay, do we want to do we want to spoiler this? I guess. I guess. Because I mean, fuck this movie. But... <laughs> yeah, but let's enter the spoiler zone. Yeah. Now entering the spoiler zone to avoid spoilers. Fast forward to forty-four minutes and twenty-four seconds. All right. The idea is the sex tape got out. Right. Everybody's got an iPad from the friggin' from their like Cameron Diaz character's mom to the mailman to for whatever reason. Uh, Jason Siegel, their their best friend, the couple played by Rob Corddry and uh, Ellie Kemper. Does the, uh, this is an aside? Does the mailman ever? Does that joke ever pay off? Do they show the mailman because they show him in the trailer? But I don't remember seeing him in the movie. He's in the movie getting the it's and it's uh, what's his name Dave Gruber Allen, yeah, who I like, yeah, who I'd like to have seen again, but he just gets a like one like on screen joke and that's it you never see him again because they because the mailman gets a, an ipad with the sex that uh, allegedly apparently has the sex tape on it and they just remote wipe it they never talk about him again mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but uh rob cordry and ellie kemper play their best friends who have this weirdo son yeah who and rob cordry could have used a lot more in this movie we yeah. could have used a lot more of him uh he has uh they have this weirdo son who's I don't know, like entering puberty early. I don't know what his deal is. He's just kind of a weird kid. And he uh, has found the sex tape. And he's been the one that's kind of secretly sending Jason Siegel and Cameron Diaz texts like, hey, great sex tape. And his extortion plot is he's going to upload it to YouPorn, the website. uh, And he's the only one that can delete it since he's the one that created the account. So he wants $25,000 from Jason Siegel. And Cameron Diaz right. to delete the account, so that sends them on a mission to the YouPorn servers to destroy them. Yeah, which I don't know that that would work either. I don't know, but that leads to the funniest scene in the movie, I think, where they they get caught in the YouPorn server room by Jack Black, who's the CEO. Yeah, and he just he's as he he's trying to figure out who sent them, and he just rattles off all these porn. Website this porn website, and I don't know. I know some of them are true, <laughs> but I don't know. Some of them are are, are sound so outrageous. Yeah, that I don't know. If I I mean, I only know about a handful of porn sites, but 
Yeah, just just a handful, huh? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that's, that's a, a that's, that's that a, was a masturbation joke for anyone. No, that is there. that is a website that I'm talking about. Just a handful. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, let me write that down. Real quick. Put it in your phone. Put it in your iPhone. Yeah, Kiko's, but, Kiko's on his phone now. Just <laughs> but again, that's another plot line that was just oh well. You should have just let me know. Right. Exactly. I would have deleted the video because they didn't want. Yeah, he's like, yeah, that's exactly what he says. You, you guys should have just emailed me. And it's like, okay, okay. <laughs> Every fucking problem in this movie yeah. could have been solved. Like, oh yeah, you should have just done this. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, you should have just done this. And I don't, you know, I don't know if you found this weird, but I wrote about it in my review. It's, it's got this weird line between raunchy and and clean because uh, they have like the nudity three uh, PG thirteen blocking for everything. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. And it's like I'm not saying here like let's just show naked people, but it's like. Well, you, you have a movie called Sex Tape. Right. And you expect nudity, right? right. And not just this bullshit, like, because you see both of their butts. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, we've seen Jason Siegel's wiener. Yeah, it's it's a lot of <laughs> butts and side boob, like, the entire way through. And, like, and so, like, they'll do that thing where they're, like, cleverly covered by something or... Like, like they're like icing the, their crotches. Yeah, with, like, it's essentially like the, uh, like the Austin uh, Powers... Uh, it's not as ridiculous as Austin <laughs> Powers, but it is, like... It is like, come on, man. We're just, we're watching this this raunchy film called Sex Tape, raunchy in quotes. Yeah, because it's really only cussing. It's and... it's like sexual dialogue more than anything. Yeah. So and... we don't ever get to see the sex tape. You well, get you get to see at the end. You get to see uh, some of the lower moments of it. But it's but first. But again, you don't see any nudity. Mm-hmm. And then second, like it's weirdly like like there's different angles on it. Like it's just not real. Like it's just and then how do they do the different angles? You just don't just don't worry yeah. about it. Oh, but then the, there's one where <laughs> camera. There's one that like fuck like like this is like this doesn't even make sense. Where she somersaults onto his yeah his crotch yeah and like is supposed to that's supposed to, she's supposed to land on his penis <laughs> and it just looks like it would kill them both yeah and they keep doing it like three or four times so they're like the it's and it's not even like it's funny once maybe uh, I don't know, but the, it's it sucks that they set up like the stunt work, and they got some naked gymnast. <laughs> <laughs> they hired a, a woman that looks like Cameron Diaz to do some naked somersault onto Jason Siegel's penis in the movie, and it's just it's just the movie's just not. There are some laughs, but it's just ultimately it's just a big waste of time. Yeah, it's a it's a huge waste of time. It's and like like we've been saying, it's a it could have been like a five minute movie. But of course, they stretch it out to an hour and a half, and that's so insulting, right? That they, they, it, you talked about it that they don't expect that we know how this shit works. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's and and like I, I love that. I think it was GQ went out and like called Apple. Oh, right, and, I read that article, and, and was like, <laughs> "Hey, is it possible for uh, for everyone to have access to a certain?" And they're like, "No, it's not. It's not possible." But I wonder what was Apple's involvement in this because they're name checked. I mean, this is the product placement out the butt. Yeah, <laughs> probably not the best term to. So that's what the sex tape. Yeah, showed. this is. I mean, because Apple is all over this, and like, there's stupid moments when he throws his kids because his son apparently has an iPad that might have had the sex tape on it, and or did have the sex tape. It on did it. have it on it, yeah. and he throws it out the window, and then Jason Segel goes to pick it up. Like, wow, this is so durable. Yeah, it didn't break. Like, come oh, on. Yeah, and I, you know what, I wish, I, I wish that like Rob Corddry. I think that plot line could have been a lot better, um, and you, and they could have utilized him more. And like Kumail Nanjiani has a funny scene in it. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's like, it's it's one joke the entire way through, and uh, it's not a particularly funny one. 
So And there's no like 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 what if the sex tape got out, you know? Like there's no like they act like it's the worst thing in the world, like it would ruin their lives. Yeah. But I, just there's never really explored as to why. Like, because Cameron Diaz is, for some reason, a blogger who might get, excuse me, who might get a job with some kid's company. Yeah. I mean, I think <sighs> I think it's best said that everyone in this movie is way above what the actual product is. And it's, you know, it's from the from the people who made, it's from the same team as Bad Teacher. Like, why would you give them another movie? That movie was I terrible. I didn't like Bad Teacher. Bad Teacher was another one that was wanted to be dangerous and it just wasn't. Oh, my God. It was so, it had, like, no claws. It was... Like, like you... Th- like you think of, uh, obviously it's meant to evoke bad Santa, right? Where, but in the in bad teacher, it just meant bad as in not good at her job. Yeah, not, exactly. Not bad as she, in like she very literally shit. was a bad teacher. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not at the point where you're like, oh fuck, this is this chick is nasty. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, like oh she's drinking at school. Yeah, like like yeah. we haven't seen that a million times. Yeah. Whatever. All right. Uh, ultimately, do you recommend this? No. Oh, I I'm do. sorry. Sorry. Let's exit the spoiler zone first. Oh. I forgot we were in the spoiler zone. Now leaving the spoiler zone. All right. Ultimately, do you recommend this, Cody? No, I don't recommend this. I think that uh, – I think if you're expecting something that Jason Siegel is capable of um, – and, and really, Jason Siegel is in a little bit of a, of a down downswing because um, I think his last comedy before this was five-year engagement – I liked that okay. It's okay, but it's it's not it's not that And that's great. the thing is with this one uh Nicholas Stoller was also involved. Mm-hmm. I think they rewrote the script he and he and yeah. Jason Siegel. And it just I don't know that there was any saving this thing from the get-go. No, I don't think so either. I think that it was kind of doomed from the beginning. And and you know what? It's actually not a terrible premise um having a sex tape potentially leak out to to the public, but it's just dealt with in such a such a terrible way. And go all out. I mean, yeah. you know, don't do this fake nudity. Jared, Jared wants full penetration next time. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to, like, I don't want this fake side boob crap. Like, come on, man. And especially, like, after we've seen Jason Siegel, I don't necessarily, not clamoring for more yeah. Jason Siegel <laughs> penis, but I mean, like, a movie that was that was not about sex was was less tame than this movie. Yeah. You know, uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Uh, it just, it's so toothless and and dull and i just i can't imagine anybody enjoying this at all yeah all right let's move on to our next review Korengal. seen the dude running and then you seen him blowing into pieces we forced the boys to go out continuously you'd hear the enemy just going crazy trying to figure out where we were we're definitely bait all right i didn't see this film the two you did so cody why don't you start off so this is a sequel to the documentary that came out a few years ago called restrepo um, a, a documentary about um, people who were in the, I guess it was the Korangal Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it in Afghanistan. Yep, or? that's correct. And uh, and uh, and so it basically shows this uh, w- w- a company um, that was in a you know Restrepo was named after someone who was there and who had who had died. And so this uses a lot of um, leftover footage from Restrepo. Uh, the the director, one of the directors from Restrepo, actually died. Um, yeah, Tim Hetherington, he died. Um, he was covering a war. Yeah, so. the Libyan War, I want to say. It was a Libyan Civil War, and he got killed there, shrapnel. Um, so that was a couple a year after they actually got nominated for mm-hmm. uh, Restrepo for an Oscar. Right. Uh, so he, he passed away about a year after. And then um, 
co-director uh, Sebastian Junger was looking through all the video that they had shot, hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage, and thought that it would be a good idea to continue the Restrepo story right. and create a, a new movie called Korngal, which gets a little bit deeper into the other uh, soldiers' uh, stories and why they're there. Yeah, lots of talking head interviews in this one. Yeah, talking head interviews. And I I, I mean, when it comes to talking head interviews, you got to watch out because it could get a little too um, heavy on, on that, and uh, it could get a little dull. But um, I love the way that he shoots the talking heads it's like real, very really, very up close i mean yeah. you only get like their eyes and part of their forehead and maybe their you know their, their upper chin so mm-hmm. i mean it's really close in and you can see you know all their emotions and then he's not throwing up softball questions here he's asking really in-depth questions about why they're there and what they're um you know what what they're fighting for um what i got out of this movie and i thought it was a really powerful movie i, I don't think it was as emotionally effective as um restrepo was because restrepo was about one specific soldier uh, that they lose uh, during that time. Uh, here, it's a little bit more about you know how um, dedicated they feel to their fellow soldier that's fighting next to them and how, what they would do to um, to save their lives if it had to come down to that. So I think they really get into that whole idea of uh, you know the brotherhood of the military and and what they would do to to keep people keep keep each other safe. So um, I really enjoyed that specific part of it. And I mean, it, it gets raw. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a scene where one of the guys is like questioning whether or not uh, killing anybody is, um, you know, God would forgive them. In, in, it's a great scene. Um, even in war, I mean, people would say, well, you had to do it. You had to, you had to kill him. It was either him or you. But at the same time, he's questioning it like, well, that might be true, but I still killed somebody. Is that a forgivable act? Right. He basically says, like, I didn't have to do any of it. Right. I didn't have to do it. I didn't have to enter the military. I didn't have to, you know return fire anything like that i mean those are like uh free will type decisions so that scene is really really powerful i mean yeah. uh, um, and so when it comes to things like that and when it comes uh comes down to hearing these uh, men talk and 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 give their specific uh ideas on the war it, it really uh it's really uh it was really uh enthralling to hear yeah uh there's a weird there's also a focus in this movie on uh which i found interesting on downtime they spend a lot of time talking about what these guys do <laughs> right, to right. pass the time because and, it's so isolated where they are. Yeah, and the downtime, I mean, itself is kind of dull for them. I mean, there, there's moments where they're not doing anything. I mean, there's that one scene where, like, they just, like, are poking at each other. For, yeah, they're throwing rocks they're at throwing each other. They're throwing rocks at each other <laughs> for, like, you know, just because there's nothing else to do. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Uh, I saw, I don't know if the two of you did earlier this year, uh, Hornet's Nest, another documentary mm-hmm. about uh, – Right. Yeah. They, I mean, and, and, and you know, it, it's you, you're used to seeing in these films just kind of these guys are on all the time. Right. And then this is just shows, hey, you know, they're a lot of times they're just sitting around. Yeah, they're you know, just sitting just, around, exactly. just going about their day. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I, I what I love about this movie is just to see what like these are just like a different breed of people. Yeah. Like, I mean, showing like they they there's a whole segment on uh each of the soldiers you see like picking out their weapon of choice um there's a scene where they show a firefight breaking out and you see like how exhilarated they are they love being in firefights it mm-hmm. just pumps them up and uh and you can watch them and you see the adrenaline uh as they're like screaming and and they're yeah it's it reminds me of your interview this week uh Kiko with Allison Hayslip about mm-hmm. video games the movie that we're going to talk about a little bit later uh-huh. she talks about going on a USO tour Right, right, and, and these I, guys are gamers. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what? That, that comes up. That, that brings up a good, uh, uh, good topic because I have a uh, brother-in-law 
uh, who's I think he just turned 17. He just graduated from high school and he really wants to get into the military. But he's like a big like first person game shooter. Like Call of Duty style. Yeah, Yeah. like he loves that stuff. And we're trying to tell him like, dude, you're going to get into this. You're not going to be blowing away terrorists every day you think that you're going to be doing what you're doing playing video games is not going to work i should make him see this movie so he can see how boring it is you know (laughs) 23 out of the 24 hours a day probably (laughs) you'll be playing video games instead exactly exactly. so stay home and do it instead anyway um i have a brother uh younger brother who's in the military who didn't who hasn't seen any action in five years so he was in san diego Um, well maybe he saw some action in (laughs) (laughs) san diego is a great place yeah so he was in san diego for four years and now he's in japan so he didn't really like he didn't experience any firefights so i want to talk to him when he gets back about that and yeah, you know I'm, if he you know if you really wanted to see it i mean i some of the I mean, well the, the way that this movie goes is anybody that goes in the military other than to fight for their country or you know you know serve their country they just they want to fight they want to yeah. be behind a gun and you know some of them i mean we we do see a guy who who did not really want to be where he was and then some of them but but it's weird because they all it all harps back to some of the people who have gotten out were like I would go back there tomorrow if you if you if you told me to or if I had the choice to and um I think I just really think that you know there's a there's a big emphasis like you said placed on the bond and the brotherhood right. of, of this place and like they're talking about how they'll never find a, a different bond like that other than with maybe the person that they marry um and I think that that's a really good emphasis you hear a lot of people in the talking heads talking about how there were days where they didn't want to go on, they didn't want to go further, but they knew that if they didn't care and if they were careless, they could put someone else in danger. And Or they talk about people who, you know, someone fell during a firefight and they would go back and risk their lives to go pick them up. Right. Or, you know, fall on a grenade if they had to. One, one thing I like too, though, is that one soldier, uh, the Hispanic one, Cortez, mm-hmm. and he really, uh, he, he keeps on looking like off to the side and like, I don't know if I should say this, but, and then he talks about like, how he wouldn't follow protocol when he came to like he going under. He would g- jump out and not go behind anything and just shoot. Yeah. He and, didn't care if he lived or died. Right. So no. I, and I, 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 while I was thinking about while I was watching this, I was thinking about what is, about the PR in the military and how that would how that worked because I'm sure that some of these soldiers are coached and like okay, you can talk about this, but you don't like make it seem you know certain ways. I mean, yeah. they're trying yeah. to. Sit. But I mean, we do see him towards the end of the movie getting like a bravery award for something that he did. Uh, so I mean I think that, that, that kinda... well that's true that's true I'm just trying to think of it it didn't seem like they were giving stock answers which is what yeah. I'm trying to say I mean it, so I'm thinking like I wonder how the PR people handled this like okay try to be you know as yeah open as possible but don't like make us look bad you know or <laughs> some something like that I mean I'm sure that they didn't talk about if like something crazy happened like I don't know they killed the kid just because you know whatever but yeah. I mean. Uh, as, as as realistic as you you would want a, a a war movie or a war documentary to be, I mean it really gets down to the to the mm-hmm. to the bones of this. So, all right. So both of you, what do you do? You recommend it? Yeah, definitely. I, I thought this was again. It's not as uh, emotionally um, powerful as uh, as Restrepo, and I, I doubt that it'll get nominated for an Oscar. May no, I don't think so. Um, but um, yeah, I mean for footage that was left on the cutting room floor, I mean th- this. This was really amazing footage that they got and really amazing interviews. So, I mean, why not? I mean, you have good stuff to create a second movie, then then do it. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, I think that as far as military uh, documentaries go, it's a it's a pretty good it's a pretty good look, and it's it's a it's it's looking into the human side of things versus the actual 
um, military or war side of things. I think mm-hmm. you really get to look at these people as people instead of um, instead of you just know, a you get, soldier. Exactly, yeah. you get to put a face on these people and these relationships, and I think it's really good in that sense. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next review. Wish I was here. What's the happiest you've ever seen me? Surfing. What? That was like a hundred years ago. It's the first thing that came to my mind. I remember I was lying on the beach reading a book and you were taking those lessons and I was watching you and you kept trying to get up, trying to get up, and then you finally got up and I couldn't see your face because you were kind of far out. I could just feel it, this elation, this pure joy. Happiest you've ever seen me is a smile you never saw. I guess, yeah. Is that weird? I suppose it's beautiful in a bizarre kind of way. <laughs> all right, we all three saw this movie. Uh, Kiko, why don't you start us? Wow, you don't look pleased. <laughs> Kiko, why don't you start off? Um, well, we're going to get into talking about the way Zach Braff uh, funded this movie later on in another segment. But um, the movie itself... Um, I thought it was pretty average. I didn't. Um, when you're, this is a follow up to Garden State, which came out what in like oh four. Yeah, two thousand four. Um, and I, I thought I really thought Garden State was great. Uh, the first hour is great. It kind of falls falls from there, but um, I think that um, he spreads himself way too thin in this movie. There's just so many themes that he tries to cover in such a, a two hour span, and I, I don't think that he really made it all come together at the uh, in one happy point anywhere um the best part of this movie and i really really liked him was mandy patakin patinkin patinkin mandy patakin aka inigo montoya um (laughs) that that there's a father-son story here i mean basically just a plot uh, to throw out a plot real quick it's just about a a struggling actor who is also a father and husband and he's trying to just find himself and trying to keep his family together while his father's dying of cancer trying to get his uh, uh, reclusive brother to, out of his trailer to come f- um, make amends with his dying father. There's a lot of different uh, uh, types of themes in here. But um, there's religion, there's you know death, there's life, there's marriage, there's just so many different things that he tries to cover in, in such a, you know, just one one movie. And I don't think he, he did a good job of it. Um, again, Mandy, the, the father-son relationship I thought was the strongest part of this movie i wish they had gone a lot uh, deeper into that and dropped a lot of other weird <laughs> secondary um storylines like this one guy that is uh picking on his wife at work or sexually um what is it harassing yeah. her at work yeah. um which <laughs> didn't go anywhere um there's there's a three or four other examples of that where not, it just kind of just drops i uh, wish they had just focused on the father son forgot about everything else Go ahead, Cody. Yeah, I, I, I like this movie. I like it better than Kiko. Um, I, I like it generally. Uh, you know, I don't. I didn't love it. I didn't think it was great. But I actually do agree with Kiko. In, um, you know, Zach Braff tries to do way too much in this movie, and, um, and you know, the, again, the, the strongest part was the Manny Patinkin and uh, and Zach Braff stuff, and even the Josh Gad stuff with the with the dad was also really good. Um, and I also think that the father-daughter stuff between Zach Braff and his daughter, uh, very interesting stuff and, and, and one of the best parts of the movie. The thing is you could cut like 
45 minutes out of this movie <laughs> and it could have and you would have lost nothing and it would have been better. I don't know about 45 minutes. Yeah, I'm but, exaggerating okay. a little. 44 minutes. <laughs> the the spiritual stuff I just I I found nothing good about that at all. Cody went, he told me he's like I would have cut out all the Jew stuff. <laughs> no, and I was like true. no, you can't say that. That's not what I said. <laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know that I agree though. I think that was part of the DNA of this thing. I don't. Um, I think it. I I mean, you could have probably maybe toned it down a little bit. Here's here's the thing though. You could have made it just about hey, what happens when you die, and you could have taken that approach from it which would have been fine but then you lose the daughter's kind of because the daughter is spiritual and the daughter is wanted to be the orthodox jew yeah wanted to i mean you see the daughter shaves her head you see that in the trailer that's because it's something that she expects to do when she becomes a wife like to wear a modesty wig that's true but that doesn't mean you can't you could have cut it out and kept the core of the story i i think that i you could have just made her a teenage daughter who who whose parents wanted her to be something that she wasn't you didn't have to pile on the thick religious but then that then that just becomes kind of standard to me though i think the the, the religious aspect gives it a gives it a unique flavor yeah, to but me there's like it's like there's like 20 or 25 minutes worth of like spiritual stuff in there that you could have shaved down big time and uh the, the the science fiction side of things where he's okay yeah that's that part where he has sort of these these uh, Walter Mitty ish escapes he's into daydreaming essentially into some daydream that I just don't think work at all like he's some sort of sci fi warrior with a little floating robot pal how much did the, the Kickstarter budget went to that <laughs> exactly. little CGI robot pal <laughs> exactly. uh, I just think none of that works I don't yeah. think at all um, yeah and I think there's I mean it's the screenplay uh I'll get to in a second but I think there's a lot of it's it's funny at times it's it's there's a lot of funny yeah. moments in it uh it's it's likable for the most part um Oh, that's such a bad word for a movie though likable I I no, I liked this movie I think a little more than Cody did uh I did have the same problems that that he had and I think it it's uh it felt the same as Garden State to me like I liked Garden State a lot mm-hmm. um but it still feels like there needed to be and I know Zach Braff want, made this through Kickstarter because he wanted his vision on screen. And I think he needed somebody to say, no, this doesn't work. Because, yeah. like, the sci-fi stuff, the sci-fi imaginary stuff doesn't work at all. This movie has a rather unforgivable, in 2014, attitude about nerds, I think. Because uh, you see Josh Gad meets a, a woman uh, who's a cosplayer. And the movie confuses that with furry. Uh, you know, like a, a furry being somebody who dresses up in like animal clothes and like pl- like looks like a, you know, like dresses as a bear or whatever and has sex that way. It's like a fetish, but this movie treats it as like, oh, these nerds, right? You know, and that, I, well, that was another side story that didn't do anything for me. I mean, why did they bring that girl in at all? Why was there that sex scene? Why her? did he go to Comic Con dressed as a like a generic spaceman? Right. I think it was just to facilitate that line. There's a line where Zach Braff says, if you hide in a fishbowl, everyone can... Okay. How is that a good line? If you hide in a fishbowl, everyone can see you. Um, that There's lines like that. The clip that I used, I thought that was great. That was a great line to me, uh, where she talks about this, you know, the happiest you never ever saw me was a smile you never saw. And, I mean, it's it's a little too... Maybe a little on the nose. Yeah. But I think that works better than, than any of the other kind of poignant lines the screenplay is going for later in the film that's that's something i want to talk about a little bit um and jared i know you haven't seen these movies and kiko i think you've only seen one but i think that the the zach braff is very similar to josh radner um in that 
you know, they were both on uh, they Josh were both Radner on sitcoms. Of, of How I Met Your Mother. How I Met Your Mother, yeah. Josh Radner has directed and written and directed two movies called um, – one. the first one was called Happy Thank You More, Please. And the second one was called Liberal Arts. And um, Josh, uh, Josh Radner does this thing where – he he's really talented. He's got he's he's a, he's a he's a good writer, but he does this thing where every single thing he says or writes in his movies has to be super profound, <laughs> and and so <laughs> that's a good uh, that's a good uh, way to put it. I mean, I didn't even think about Joshua. I've only seen um, liberal, liberal arts. arts, but you're right. I mean, everything every line had to top the next line in exactly. this movie. Exactly, and I I just. It just seemed like he was trying too hard with lines like that. At times, at times there were. I think that he hit the mark on a, you know, on a few lines. I mean, like the one you were talking about. There's some other moments, and like like you said, during the father son, there's a lot of really good dialogue back and forth. Oh, all, all the father son stuff was great. I really yeah. enjoyed yeah. it. But I mean, I think everything else brought it down to just an average movie for me. And uh, there's this one scene where, and it's the uh, scene about the, the the one that you that you like. This, that, that line is fine. I didn't have a problem with that. But that scene just dies i mean she's complaining because he's this out of work actor and he's not you know doing anything to help the family monetarily and then all of a sudden you forget that she's angry at him about that i mean it doesn't go anywhere he gets a phone call and it just ends the scene ends and you never come back to the fact that this family really needs help financially um there's well i think they i think think that's a little unfair to say that the scene dies because they did you know that's how life works. They got a call that the daughter had shaved her head. Yeah. Um, so I, I think yeah, I, I think I, that's a real. That's not just a like. Oh, we forgot about this scene. That's a, you know. Hey, we're moving on to parenthood, right? Well, yeah, second. but they never come back to it. And then she even defends him when Mandy Patakin is you know in the hospital or in, at home. I don't and, think the, they're meant to be uh, representative yeah. of having problems like that are unsolvable. I think sex tape is one of the. It's going back to sex tape. They touch on some real issues in that, like. Hey, this couple is in trouble, but then they never resolve that. But I think this is one of those where it's just, I mean, obviously he's a man boy that needs to grow up, you know, is really basically all of Zach Braff's kind of shtick. So you didn't everything. think that the family had problems? I mean, I thought, I thought, I, I felt that differently. I thought that the family was like, it's funny. hanging from a string type of it's, thing. It's funny though, because, uh, well, yeah, they, they, they portray that, but then it's the whole TV thing or, t- or movie thing where, like, oh, we're so poor, but we live in this gorgeous house, you know, <laughs> uh, the same with, uh, uh, you know, any kind of sitcom you see on TV, you know, like, how are these people afford this place in, you know, the biggest city in the world, New York or, you know, L.A., stuff like that. Um, I thought it was interesting that kind of the crisis that starts the film off is, hey, our dad's not going to be able, my dad's not going to be able to pay for our kid's school anymore. We got to go talk to him. Yeah. Like, it's such a millennial kind of uh uh, overprotective parent attitude mm-hmm. toward life. Um, I, I thought it was an interesting place to start the movie. Uh, I don't... Yeah, I did too. I didn't. I, well, actually, it didn't start off like that. It started off with a sci-fi. Uh, opening. Well, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but no, I know what you mean. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. That's a, one of the. I mean, Garden State was Zach Braff writing about his 20s. This is him writing about his 30s. Right. Um, Hopefully we'll get something in ten more years. I mean, I don't, I don't know how he's planning on uh, raising money for the it's, next it's one. It's funny but. that he had such kind of a long spell between. Yeah, between exactly. Films. I mean, we'll talk about this later, but I mean, it, I guess it really is hard to make an independent film, even if the first one that you make is critically acclaimed or yeah. loved by many. But um, I and I don't want to make. I didn't like this movie uh, too much, but um, I just want to make it perfectly clear that I think Zach Braff. 
like you think uh, Radner is. He's very talented. I think he he has a, a a unique voice. I think that this really does feel like another Garden State. I just don't think it really connected the way uh, in terms of like themes and different uh, plot yeah. points. He it, he kind of he kind of throws a lot of things out there. And and some of them pan out and some of them don't. Yeah. And that's and that's kind of the theme of the movie. A, just a judicious editor yeah. or maybe like a strong producer. Yeah. Would have been really welcome. I yeah. Think. There's there's a really good movie somewhere in this thing. I, I'll agree with that. But yeah. but but you have to you have to wade through the other stuff. Yeah. In order to get there. Yeah. I mean the sci-fi dreams. I mean you can see that that's something that that Braff wanted forever apparently. And it yeah. just, I don't understand it. You know, I don't, I don't know how you, you're cutting that movie and you see like, how does this work? And again, it, it may have been the case where a studio said that to him straight yeah. up. Like, why yeah. is this sci-fi stuff in here? And so he was like, well, I want to make what I want to make. And so I'm going to fund it that way. Not, let's, not touching on Kickstarter because we're going to get to that. Yeah. It was just, what a deep tease we've been doing for this Kickstarter thing. <laughs> uh, do you think there's a, a backlash against Zach Braff? I think uh, without that, the Kickstarter aspect, I think he is uh, unfairly railed against. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't find him offensive. He might be. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I even don't know if he's got like an attitude or if he's like a dick or whatever. But let's he, just assume everyone in Hollywood's a dick yeah. and judge him on their work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love Scrubs. I mean, I got that. Into I did that, too. I got into that show way late. Like, how many seasons did it go? I think it went nine seasons. I think I got into it like. Eight and a half seasons in. I mean, the last three seasons are pretty much terrible. Oh, is that without him? The last season is without him. Okay. That, the Dave Franco's in that that I liked. Uh, the last season where they're like med students. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. But he's in that for like half a season, maybe. I, I watched a lot of reruns and I was like, how did I miss? And yeah. that that show is perfect. A perfect example of what he does is because it's just so there's so so many funny parts, but then, man, there's that one there's that one episode of Scrubs. I don't know if you remember it, but it has a. Um, He's talking about the Brendan one with Brendan Fraser. Fraser. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Brendan Fraser one where he dies at the end. Man, I was crying my eyes out on that. Oh, when he he's you, you see him throughout the episode talking to uh, Dr. Yeah, Cox. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. a great, great episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can see him bringing some of that into his feature films. I mean, I know, I know he's only done two, but there's that like really, really fine line of like really emotional comedy. It's not even dark comedy. It's like something different. It's I'm really... It's like you Heart. laugh, but then you cry. Like, like right afterwards. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh. <laughs> you know, like the madman. Should we uh, hark that back to your sex tape? Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what his sex tape is called, right? <laughs> exactly. You laugh while you're crying. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that the, the backlash against Zach Braff is, is for people who, um, who found Garden State like too cool for the room type of like I, annoying type of, uh, you know, 20 something. Mm-hmm. Or whatever, and I can I understand that to a point, but I also think that there's a on, there's an audience for that. I mean, I was for that. I was 25 when I saw Garden State, so I guess I was right in that zone. Uh-huh. You know, it was perfect for me at the right, time. Right, right. No, you know what? That's a perfect uh, thing to bring up because I thought Garden State was fantastic when I saw it. And I was probably around 23. Since then, I've watched it maybe four other times in the past 10 years, and it gets less and less. Uh, it connects less and less with yeah. me, and that Natalie Portman gets too cool for the room for me <laughs> after the fifth viewing. I'm like, oh, come on, this girl's not. This girl doesn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I, I don't know that uh, that Zach Braff with with uh, Wish I Was Here successfully translates uh, his his voice into a 35 oh, year no. old. I don't know that it's. I don't know that he's uh, the the typical you know mid 30s guy. 
I mean, but again, what is a typical mid thirties guy now? You know what I mean? Like by the time my dad was 35, he'd already owned like three boats. (laughs) Like, like, I mean, I'm not even close to, to being that kind of guy, you know, like he was, you know, he's the kind of sit, you know, sit and watch TV, watch the, you know, fishing shows at 35, you know, and I'm not even close to, to being that age. You only own one boat. Yeah. Like he'd bought and sold three boats by the time he was my age, you know. You only own one boat and you play with it in the bubble bath. <laughs> it's a remote control boat. But I, I ultimately I I I liked this movie. I didn't like I didn't love it, but I really liked it and I I'd recommend it cuz it's likable. Hello, come on. Likable is you, you say that like it's a bad word. It but is I mean, a bad word. I mean, it's like a cop-out word like, "Oh, it wasn't good, but it was likable." All right, I liked the movie like enough a- to recommend it. <laughs> I have problems with it, but Nothing that would that would sway me from recommending it to someone. It's like telling a girl that she's likable. Like my You're fiance likeable. was there with us, and she was she was crying. Oh, so I mean, it was well, the I mean, pata- pa- pa- oh, she loved it. Patinkin, Ma- Patinkin, Mandy P, Mandy P's, Mandy P, uh, Mandy P's um, um, <laughs> scenes are really uh, heart heart. I heartfelt. love his beard. Good God, I love his beard. <laughs> like that's like if he didn't have that beard, I don't think he'd be near as like lovable. Yeah, I mean, like he's a big fuzzy bear of a of a guy. I hope Matt. I hope three fourths of whatever he raised on Kickstarter went to Mandy P. Mandy anyway, P. I, I I don't recommend this movie. I really think wow. Zach Braff is uh, is somebody who can make a good movie. This is just isn't it. I mean, I think that he needs somebody behind him telling him what to do, not necessarily what to write, but how to cut it down a little bit. Two oh, hour, I, to- I totally agree with that. Two hours is too long for this movie, and uh, Mandy P's stuff is. <laughs> freaking amazing but everything else any other theme in this movie just didn't connect with me whatsoever cody uh i think that in this case the good outweighs the bad um slightly um it's 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 enough to where i would recommend it but like i'll just mirror everything that you've said so far um it's a movie where uh i think that you have to kind of dig a little bit to find the really good stuff and i think if you know with with some good editing uh, strategies. I don't know how to word it. With with some good editing choices, you so could have a, made a, a really, judicious editor. A judicious editor could have a made hatchet this, man. <laughs> uh, a very good movie. Uh, instead, you get a product that um, you have to kind of wade through the other stuff, and and you'll find a movie that is, I think, in my opinion, uh, good more often than it is bad. I think you're being way too nice to this guy. I mean, two hours. I mean, he could have cut. You're saying, okay, there's a movie inside this. There's a good movie inside this bad movie. Fine, but. We're looking at the whole movie. Well, I get that, but you're you're sitting. You are doing that, but you're sitting there saying, "Well, I found this like pretty big chunk of the movie amazing, and the rest of it not so much." So yeah. it's kind of like where you know, if you have a scale, is it is the ama- are the amazing is parts Mandy Patinkin's performance enough to to drive past the fact that there's kind of some self indulgent stuff from right. Zach Braff? Exactly. And I think there is. I, and I mean, I, and I liked more than just Mandy Patinkin. I liked, I, like he goes, I mean, like Cody said, I liked the father daughter thing. I think Joey King was great in this movie. Uh, she's been kind of relegated to just daughter in distress roles for, yeah, she was in Fargo, long. the TV show. I haven't watched that yet, but last I remember seeing her was white house down. Yeah. Um, and I think the, she can turn into a really good actress. And jo- then, Joey uh, King. she shaved her head. She a has lot. an interesting face. Remember when she played uh, the young girl in uh, Dark Knight Rises? She had a shaved head. Yeah, she's a method true. actress. Yeah, <laughs> lots of shaving her head. Um, yeah, but I. So you recommend it, Cody? I do. I do. I do. All right, and, and I especially uh, especially for Donald Faison's uh, uh, cameo. It's I love Donald Faison. That's a worthless scene. But I love Donald <laughs> Faison. 
I, I think it's cool. And, you know, there's a lot of his friends in this film. I don't, I don't remember the guy. I don't remember the actor who plays the guy sexually harassing. Oh, I don't uh, know who that was. Oh, yeah. but he I, looked familiar. No, but... he, well, he was in Garden State. He was in Scrubs. Yeah. In Garden State, he was the cop. We remember he was like, Tales from the Force. Oh, I forgot Jim Parsons was in Garden State, too. I, I tried to tell that to, to my fiance. I haven't, I, I haven't uh, seen Garden State in he's the knight. six or seven years, probably. You have a dick on your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was the knight that was uh, sleeping with uh, Peter Sarsgaard's mom. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. Jim Parsons has like two scenes in this movie. I think he was great. In, oh, the, the my favorite scene that, that was just kind of throwaway was when... Uh, hit, it's Zach Braff and Jim Parsons are at the audition with just strictly other black actors. Yeah. Leslie, uh, Leslie David, is it Leslie David Baker? Baker? Yeah. yeah. And then uh, the, Phil. the late James Avery. They're, the part apparently got rewritten as an African-American. And uh, Leslie David Baker is like, well, I played Othello in college. <laughs> and James Avery says, we all played Othello. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a great, like, smart yeah. Yeah, that, joke. Yeah, that was a good joke. My, my, I think my favorite line was... Um, was when they were doing the role playing from Game of Thrones. <laughs> yes, and, uh, yes. Oh, and they're like, "Is this the first time <laughs> post sex?" Yeah, but but the line was, uh, she was saying like Khaleesi stuff, and he's like, "And I'm the brown, I'm the guy brown guy who died." Who died. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to our last movie, Video Games: The Movie. In the fall of 1972, a small group of computer science students at Stanford University's Artificial Intelligence Laboratory got the idea to convene the very first Intergalactic Space War Olympics with the use of the computer lab's very own PDP-10. Contestants fought it out on the machine's, at the time, impressive 10-inch raster display. All right, this is... <laughs> oh. How can you be bored at Sean Astin's How can you voice? be bored at video games? This is a documentary um, about video games. Really? Uh, From the title, you could it was about making a fruit salad. We all saw this. What, Cody, why don't you start us off? Wait, first, Cody, are you a gamer? I'm not. Jared, Jared are you a gamer? I, I prefer classic games. I, okay. not, I haven't kept up since about 2001. Yeah, I'm not a gamer myself. I mean, classic stuff I used to play growing up, but... Yeah, go ahead. This is essentially a love letter to games. Um, it's a fluff piece, uh, and it and it it doesn't know what it wants to be because this thing is all over the place. Yeah. Um, it starts off looking at games in a historical context, going, you know, you know, starting at the at the early development and going through like every console uh, that there's been, except for they skip over like ten consoles. Well, <laughs> well okay, that what you hear right there, that clip we just played was kind of the beginnings like we're trying to discover the origins of games and that's how the film starts after a gandhi quote <laughs> which what the fuck <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah are there what? other quotes there's, a, JF, there's, there's a, a one from jfk i know one, there's a tesla nikola tesla i can get the tesla one maybe but like gandhi and jfk where the fuck do they figure <laughs> into the history of video games uh, i think that's what gandhi was doing for most of the time but know. this is a we should say this is another kickstarter funded project yeah uh, produced by Zach Braff. Right. No uh, wonder it's sprawling all over the place. Oh, callback. Shots fired. All right. Uh, so, yeah, like like Cody was saying, this wants to be everything all at once. Yeah, like, and, and, and it's done in such a poor manner because what they'll do is they'll spend, like, two minutes on something and they just go away from it. Like, so, like, there's a section on the Xbox 360 and literally the whole section is Will Wheaton going oh this 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 console is amazing i was it was amazed by it and then they just move away and it's it's kind of 
you know, what is this movie supposed to be about? <laughs> is it about the impact of video games on culture? Is it about the history of video games? It's about everything, Cody. It's just about video it's games, It's called man. Video Games the Movie. They want to include everything, and they can't. But yeah. I don't think they and even I, try. Yeah. Well, they can't. I mean, it's that would be, it would be a 10-hour movie if they included okay, well, everything. There, there's a nice through line, and I was talking to Cody about this yesterday, I think. There's a nice through line because you go and you get it, – it touches on the you know the history like, you know, all oh, these guys created – Basically, Pong and and uh, uh, Space War is right. what it's called, and then it moves on to Atari, which is the first real video game, you know, the, the first real video game system to to get its clutches into the to the American public, and then they talk about uh, E.T. the game that sucked that basically destroyed the industry for a while, and then they move on to the Nintendo Entertainment System, and then they just drop off. Because there's a through line from there to, you know, Nintendo rules the, the roost until Sega comes along and yeah. challenges them. And then uh, Nintendo gets challenged again uh, by Sony PlayStation and PlayStation takes but over. But you should say that this is not linear. They go yeah. back and yeah. forth and yeah. back and forth. Oh, that, that, yeah. that um, I guess the graphic that they use is the actual timeline. Yeah. Yeah. That they go up and down and up and down. Yeah, and, like they, an and, and they don't elevator. touch on anything. Like they'll, they'll, they'll zoom by... I mean, you can't ignore the PlayStation and Xbox. But then they go up and down this thing, this uh, timeline, and then they come back all the way again. It's yeah. just like, uh, you know, I mean, if you're going to go in order, I mean, this isn't a Quentin Tarantino movie. You don't need to go in, uh, <laughs> out of order in this. I mean, just start from year one and go from there and cover as much as possible. And there's, Go ahead. <coughs> Excuse me. Go ahead. I'm coughing. Yeah. This is my show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. So, um, so anyway, like in the back half of the movie, it, it, it goes away from consoles and it's just like, okay, we're going to talk about video games and violence. Yeah. And now we're going to talk about uh, – now we're going to talk about uh, – what were some of the later ones? Uh, video games in the future. Now we're going to talk about video games and their storylines and how they've progressed. And yeah. It's I just, think there's some really um, kind of ill-informed decisions being made there because talking about video games and violence – they don't have anybody that says oh, contrary. That bothered the shit out of me. Like, because exactly, they don't have anyone uh, on the contrary. It's all from a position of uh, of video games are great and you can't blame them. There's no experts on the subject. It's all gamers who are talking or video it's, game developers. Or, or, or movie stars. You right. Know, you've got Chris Hardwick and Will Wheaton and then uh, Zach Braff talks about shit. Yeah, but even beyond that, it's like they're neglecting to say that Video games are an immersive experience where you're the guy holding the gun, shooting people, and they just they don't even bring that well, up. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to get into the politics of, of what I think and what I believe, but I, I think it would have served the movie to have somebody come on and say, hey, you know, no, this is this is why this can affect you this way. Well, and we're talking we – just when we were talking about Korangal, we're talking about guys who are entering the military because they like <laughs> yeah, first-person yeah. shooter games. Like it's <laughs> – you can't just ignore and gloss over the fact that – Video games are an immersive experience where yeah, you're doing that. I don't think they needed to bring anybody in to talk about the other side. I think they needed to cut the whole thing out. It has nothing to do yeah. with – I mean it's just way too – you know, a different. it's a different movie. I mean you don't need to talk about that. This was a movie about video games. You're just, again, writing a love letter. You're stroking the ego of video game players and, and users and, and creators. That That's all this needed to be. But the way that they picked and choose what they talked about was just, just not – a good way to do it. I mean, the kind of the biggest thing for me, other than ignoring the PlayStation's impact, because I mean, you, after 1995, the PlayStation took over, right? And then in 2000, 2001, whenever the PlayStation 2 came out, they don't talk about how that drove the home video revolution. Because most people, not most people, but so many people's first DVD player was a PlayStation 2. Right, right. And that's something that, that, 
manufacturers had to meet the specifications for in order to get their stuff to market. The same with the PlayStation 3 and Blu-rays. You know, this was something, this was the big one console, one media device that everybody had uh, that, that, that drove home. I mean, DVDs owe their popularity to the Sony PlayStation. Yeah. Or PlayStation 2, I'm just, I should I think that's accurate. Say. And you know, it's it's very much a preaching to the choir thing because nobody in this movie says anything of substance. It's just all <laughs> a bunch of like blind praise to video games and what they're doing. And, it's, and also, there's a weird comparison in this movie where there, there's like a grudge between video games and movies where yeah. it's like, yeah, movies suck and you, you can't do this in a movie. It's like, they can coexist. You can have both. I don't think anybody confuses I don't think anybody chooses video games over movies and it's it's always that weird statistic people give that like oh video games are a billion, billion dollar, dollar industry but that's because the entry fee is so expensive yeah. you know as compared to a film I mean it's a little bit off you know the balance is off there because you know, you have to buy a $500 console and a $60 game every time you play the game. Yeah, and, and then you have guys like, I think it was Chris Hardwick, who was like, well, making a video game is 10 times harder than making a movie and all that stuff. And yeah, there's a bunch of, I mean, it takes a lot of effort, but why are you even comparing? Why do you feel like there's a battle between video games and movies? I don't understand that. Yeah, I didn't get that. Either. I, something that I, I wanted to bring up, and I know Cody would agree with me, is just like we're talking about how this is so, you know, all-encompassing in terms of video game history. Uh, what I like is when a um, um, documentary document a documentary. Why can't I ever say that goddamn word? <laughs> documentary. A documentary uh, really um, focuses on one thing, like uh, exactly uh, King of Con, a fistful mm-hmm. of quarters. That really touched on one specific thing. I know that we were talking about uh, about the really bad ET game. There's going to be a, a doc coming out on that. Yeah, um, yeah. How that was buried in the desert and then re unearthed. Uh, and then unearthed later on. If they had just focused on one thing and gone off on that, it would have been a completely different yeah, movie. You're they absolutely have, right. Uh, it's interesting to just focus on, I and mean, it could be the most, you know, off the wall topic ever, and you can make it interesting. Well, if, go, going back to to last week when Cody talked about life itself as a series, I think this would benefit as being oh, uh, totally. some sort of documentary series. You know, maybe like five episodes that that just track everything. Right, right? five episodes that go in order of decade and yeah. cover what you need, but make it more creative. I mean, these are video games. I mean, these are video games that could have been a lot more creative and probably would have cost more money. To it do was, that, but it was pretty. Like it wasn't ugly. You know, I mean, yeah, but the, there is a lot of like music montages with video yeah, game footage yeah, just way too was, many times. Yeah. I, agree. <laughs> right. yeah. I mean, I love seeing the old arcades and stuff, but yeah, it did. It did kind of rely on that device a little. Did too they much. go? They even go into arcades? Like how? No, well, really. But I mean, you see some footage of arcades. Right. And I mean, uh, they talked to Noah Bushnell, who was the founder of, of obviously right. Atari, but of then again of Chuck E. Cheese, which is one of the kind of big family arcades of the yeah. you know the right they also don't really get into pc at all it's almost all console or mobile or mobile or yeah, yeah yeah so i mean it's amazing how much they cover <laughs> and how much they neglect <laughs> at the same time well it's a huge topic i mean there's at least modern history of video games is 30 years that's yeah, why but, that's why you don't call your movie video games the movie yeah yet. but their their idea is okay let's touch on something for 45 seconds and then we've covered it let's move on yeah yeah, no, I agree. This is this is a mess. Yeah, and if you want, I mean, there are good movies about video games. Key, King of Kong, like Kiko mentioned, that's my favorite documentary of all time. I love um, King of Kong. It's incredible. <laughs> there's another there's another uh, kind of companion piece to that. I don't know if you've seen it. I've seen it on TV a few times called Chasing Ghosts. I've heard of it. Uh, I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, I've seen um, that. It, it's it's great kind of movie. follows. Yeah, it follows. Uh, you get more of Billy Mitchell and more of um, 
Oh, what's you could the always guy's use name? more Billy Mitchell. What's the guy's name? <laughs> the the older guy that runs Twin Galaxies. Walter Day. Walter Day. Thank you. <laughs> and I've he's, seen that movie he's, so a, many times. he's a character in and of himself. Like he yeah. was a like a crazy newspaper collector. Uh-huh. Uh Yeah, Chasing Ghosts. I recommend seeing Chasing yeah. Ghosts. Watch King of Kong and then watch Chasing Ghosts. Yeah, and also something that came out a couple years ago, Indie Game the movie. I loved that movie, and it was on my top ten that year. Oh yeah, I still haven't seen that yet. Uh, really, really good movie. Who's wheezing? Am I wheezing? <laughs> uh, someone was wheezing into the mic. He's just so excited about video games. Yeah. He wants to go play right now. Anyway, I think we've said enough. All right, so bo- bottom line. Yeah, I just don't. don't it's, no, not it's, at all. It's not a good. Uh, it's not a good doc. All right, all right. Let's move on to our last segment. Be prepared to pick a side. It's the unpopular opinion. All right. This week we're finally getting into the dreaded Kickstarter debate. We <laughs> Cody's cracking his knuckles. That's really good. Yeah, good job. I, I wish I could have gotten them all at once. But here, let me try mine. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might have arthritis. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, we've got two films this week, as we mentioned, funded at least in part by Kickstarter. Uh, the most famous of which is "Wish I Was Here," the Zach Braff directed. Right. Uh, film and then video games, the movie, which I think Zach Braff came on to later. Mm-hmm. So the take is Kiko doesn't like the idea of right. These, uh, and these... let's let's first say Zach Braff funded the production costs over Kickstarter, and basically his. I mean, we should explain the model. He okay. he funded the production costs over Kickstarter, and then he took the movie to Sundance, where Focus features. Bought the distribution. Okay, so that's kind of the idea. So, of it. If you don't know what Kickstarter is, it's a uh, crowdsourcing yes. uh, platform for uh, funding projects. You know, you 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 have this project in mind, and you probably heard this week of the stupid fucker with the potato salad. <laughs> uh, you have a project in mind that you get people to back uh, monetarily, and they get rewards. Yeah, incentives in, is in, what they call incentives. Them. Uh, as the project is finished. And the yeah. idea is that you back something that you believe in. Right. And then as as you pay more money, the incentives get better and better. So, you know, <laughs> you, you donate five bucks, you get a, a just a, a, you know, you get a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. And then <laughs> if you, you know, I I have donated to Kickstarter before and, um, and you receive T-shirts, copies of the movie – uh, sign. You can get signed stuff, posters. There's all sorts. They're of They're not necessarily all movies, but movies are kind of grab the the limelight when it comes to Kickstarter. Yeah, movies have progressed further to now where full movies are being funded by Kickstarter. It wasn't always that way. Um, I actually think Indie Game of the movie was one of the first feature length movies okay. to ever be funded by Kickstarter, and they've taken it from there. And Kiko, you don't like this, right? I don't at all. Um, I can understand how somebody like Zach Braff can say. Well, I don't have a, you know, I, I don't want my um, my artistic vision to be, you know, sway, persuaded or moved by any of these big name um, production companies or anything. I want this movie made the way I wanted to make. But my problem is going out there and asking uh, regular moviegoers, regular fans of his, the fa- his fan base to give up some of their money and put it back into what's ultimately going to be his pocket. I mean, there's no reason somebody that, has the has the um, resources like Zach Braff does, and not resources in the fact that he's a billionaire or anything like that, but resources that he's part of this Hollywood industry that he has to go out there and try to cash grab from people that he doesn't need to be cash grabbing from. 
Yeah, that may be. I think that's a little bit of an unfair comparison. But Cody, you're you're licking your lips over here. So why don't you ca- counterpoint, you, Cody? Put, put your machete away, Cody. <laughs> okay. First off, uh, these people are getting uh, tangible rewards for their money. They're not just giving their money and it's going into Zach Braff's pocket. They're paying money and they're essentially putting money where their mouth mouths are. And so. <laughs> You know, you if someone gives them thirty five bucks, they're going to get a t shirt, a poster, whatever the incentives are. These people are getting things back. Also, to your second point, uh, you know, just because someone has a lot of money, like it doesn't work. Where if someone wants to make a passion project, they just pull out their checkbook and write a check for it. That's not how it works. You have to go out and find funding for it. I mean, if Brad Pitt wants to make Twelve Years a Slave, which is a passion project of his. You know, he can fund it through his production company and then he can co-finance it through investors, which is how movies are made. So essentially, instead of going out to investors, he's going out to his fans and raising the funds that way. And in return, the fans are getting a product, which is the movie, and they're getting tangible rewards for uh, the based on the amount of money that they're paying. So it's really – I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't care about the the rewards. I think that's why that's important. The, that's how how is that important? I be, mean, it's just a, a t-shirt and a poster. Is that's why people are giving money to well, him? I mean, well, no, I think but, at that. I mean, at, at the smaller level, yeah, t-shirt and a poster. But I think bigger movies. I mean, uh, bigger donations to certain movies, you garner bigger incentives. Maybe. Right. Yeah, but this hasn't been done like a million times. I mean, not not everybody is doing it this way. I mean, it, I can name only a handful of productions that have gone this way. I mean, there's what this one. Uh, James Franco did it um, for. Yeah. There's the Veronica Mars. Veronica one. Mars, um, Spike Lee. I mean, this hasn't caught on yet, and there's a reason this hasn't caught on. It's because the bigger people like Zach Braff are looking at it like, is this really fair to be asking people for money? But I, I mean, don't see how you can just dismiss the idea of an incentive being because it's if someone wants to go buy a T-shirt, they're going to buy the T-shirt anyway. So it's it's putting money, it's putting rewards in their pocket or in their hands or whatever it may be. And it's giving them a reason to donate to the cause. Well, I think it's it's strange because a, uh, a a big one recently was the Reading Rainbow Kickstarter, right? Um, and I didn't hear quite the same level of complaints yeah. about that that I hear about something like Zach Braff uh, or even the Veronica Mars thing, which I have a different problem with. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's it's a weird i guess the what the what the final product is affects cuz lavar burton's not a poor man right. you know i mean he's i don't know that he's independently wealthy to the tune of millions of dollars but you know his goal was to raise a million bucks and i don't know that lavar burton doesn't have a million bucks you know what i mean i but i see i find that different because it's something like uh Reading Rainbow is giving back something to the community. I think it's a more of an educational thing where you watch Reading Rainbow and you learn something well, and you it's like that's my point is that that there's, you know, it's the same business model but you're getting you know what your perceived reward is 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 for you something that's that's beneficial. Meanwhile, you don't see the Zach Braff thing as as being beneficial, and somebody may have the difference of opinion. Right. I mean, I'm not saying that people shouldn't give to it. Uh, if that's, I mean, people give like you're saying, people give money to watch somebody make, make potato, potato salad. salad. How much money did that guy make? That anyway? guy, I, last I saw, it was like at forty thousand. That's just crazy. I mean, people are going to be stupid and give their money to anything that yeah. they want. So I'm not saying don't give your money to Zach Braff or a big comp- uh, person like that. It just, I just don't find it very fair that he's going out there and you I, know. The the my problem asking for asking for stuff that he can probably get in, in a different uh, in a different way. Allegedly, he shopped this movie around for a decade or so. I think is yeah. the story, and nobody would fund it based on his vision. Uh, you know, uh, probably like we talked about, they wanted to cut some shit out, right? Which 
it's fine with me. If he want, if he didn't do that and he went this route, it's totally fair to me. The problem I had was uh, with the Veronica Mars one. First of all, I didn't think I don't like the idea of, of ripping shows that are dead, like ripping them from their graves and putting them back up to dance for us. Like like <laughs> dance, mac- macabre dance. puppets. Yeah. Um, but the problem with that one was that Warner Brothers owned the rights to the characters. You know, it was this was a Warner Brothers film, and they forced, I guess, uh, Rob Thomas, the creator, to go raise funds on his own to to make this film. So it wasn't like a it it wasn't the same to me as the Zach Braff one. This is a giant corporation that was like, I don't know that we can turn a profit on it. If you get someone else to pay for it, then sure, we'll distribute it. Or whatever. I don't know what the model was. But it was still was. considered an independent film, right? I mean... Well, yeah. It was independently financed. Yeah. Well, I, just full disclosure, Cody gave to the right. Mars. So why, yeah. why is that... Why was that something you gave to you? Well, I mean, it was, it was kind of... It, funny enough, it was... The reason I gave to it was because... You wanted the shirt. Yeah. <laughs> was because of the model that Jared doesn't like, which is resurrecting... Uh, old shows and stuff like that. And I don't think we should get too far into this because this is a different topic, but I like the idea of fans being able to bring back something that they love. Um, I think that uh, just because a movie, uh, a TV show has a run on TV and doesn't do well does not reflect on the product. Um, there's so much stuff that can go into marketing a TV show and it can be not successful, but it can still be a great show. Um, I mean, you look at Family Guy that could have died like 12 years ago, but it was brought back and nobody seemed to have a backlash about that. Well, that got brought back because of DVD sales. That got brought back purely commercial. Right. I mean, there's but, stuff like Futurama, good to go, another animated route. That had a, to me, a fine ending. Okay, like, but uh, again, I don't, I don't mind that endings are fine, but I think that you don't lose a lot by getting more time with characters that you like. I think you do. I think you do a lot. I think Futurama was not very good when it came back. But did it tarnish what you thought of Futurama as a product? Well, no, but I mean, well, still, what what's, the point, what's the point of making bad stuff? I mean, we all have TV shows that we loved that, that ended too early, and we all have stuff that we loved that went too long. We talked about Scrubs just a little yeah. while ago, and that would turn into a piece of shit in the last three right. seasons, and I think that would have been... Right. Do I want to see Seinfeld come back? Would I give money for that? I love Seinfeld, but hell no, I wouldn't want to... But that, we're getting off the point. Here. Right, yeah. but uh, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, you're, right. you're debating another topic, but... Yeah. That's for another podcast. Yeah. Anyway, back to Zach Braff and his money-grabbing... Here's the scenario. thing. Here's, <laughs> wait, here's... Hold on, hold on. Because we're not talking about like the public funding a Transformers movie that's going to get them a hundred hundreds of millions of dollars in profit. We're talking about a very small movie where, I mean, what Veronica Mars probably made back its production costs. But what happens, what would happen if there was a hit? Like what would be the, I mean, then you, then you might have to take a look at the model and, and they would get a second t-shirt. <laughs> but yeah, if you, if you say, okay, let's, let's do it this way. Let's say if, the opportunity was afforded to fans to create a Transformers movie outside of the Michael Bay universe. Yeah. Like, hey, if you raise, uh, you know, five million bucks, we'll make this Transformers movie that has nothing to do with the Michael Bay movies. Yeah. And then Paramount will distribute it. it and then it becomes a massive hit. Then what are you doing? You know, are yeah. you, you, you're just, you're doing it, you're creating a test market for Paramount. You know, you're you're taking the financial risk off of them, even though they own the property, and you couldn't you couldn't create this movie without them. Mm-hmm. But they want you to pay to create this movie. I it's just and that that part bothers that me. That particular model, I I understand 
what, where you're coming from because we're talking this, I mean and that's more of the Veronica Mars well, yeah, that's what I'm referring than, to, yeah. than anything but if we're talking about the Zach Braff thing I mean it's I just don't I don't understand where it what what it I'm sorry I don't understand like what it hurts by doing this people if people want to fund um, a unique vision someone who's never made a movie before they can fund that and the Zach Braff movie there's no limitations on what you can fund so you don't think you don't think them giving a Zach Braff takes away money from other no. sources. Oh, I no. absolutely Of course do. it does. How can you that. say that? Well, well, well why? Because you can take it. I mean, it's, you're acting like there's a finite you're, amount of money. Yeah, but you're acting like anybody can get on Kickstarter and be like, oh, I'm going to fund 10 projects today. That's what I'm going to do here. This one, this one, this one. No, this one. Not, you give Zach Braff 10 bucks and you give the other person 10 bucks. Well, I think that there's a... there's a. You're, you're acting like Zach Braff is taking money out of other people's pockets. I think that's he just is. not the case. No. I think he is. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think that there's... So you go on to, you go on to oh, today I'm going to fund a... a indie film but i'm only going to fund one so let me go on kickstarter hmm zach braff or this one over here uh, okay, i don't think uh, that everyone is making that choice you you have the full right to do what you want with your money and you can do both if you want you can do one or the other it doesn't it, it's i you're acting like he's stealing from other people but, but, I, but no but i think uh i i think the the reputation of it hurts kickstarter just like i think this fucking potato salad thing <laughs> hurts kickstarter i think that you know the people that that main because you know there's going to be the people that fund stuff no matter what right yeah. there's the people that are altruistic about it and they want to fund the arts or whatever but i think that the casual user might be turned off or the person that was on the fence might be turned off by thinking oh this is just celebrities asking for money to fund this project or this is some fucking joker asking for money to make potato salad um i think it that may affect the Someone who's like, eh, you know, I heard about this Kickstarter thing. Maybe I should help out. And they see that, oh, it's only this either this this millionaire who's asking for money or some jerk who has some gimmick. And I think that that hurts the reputation of it hurts the, the, repu- the platform. Yeah, it hurts the reputation, but it doesn't hurt the the, the numbers of people that go to it because of the the gimmick the gimmick of it. Because yeah. well, I mean, yeah, the, I mean, people are getting on Kickstarter when these things come out, not to particularly give money to somebody but just see what's going on i mean so their kickstarter is getting something out of this themselves so of course they're going to come out and go oh we're cool with zach brav doing this because we're getting a million more hit, hits on our website but because I, mean, of it. I mean i don't have a problem with it frankly i mean i can see where the problem lies for, for some people i mean if you want to fund a movie and you can't get funding elsewhere it doesn't matter if you're you know uh you know zach braff uh who I guess is still a big star. I mean, his, his time in the limelight's kind of faded away a little bit. I mean, he's not on a hit sitcom right now. Um, Wouldn't you say that there is in a lot of ways, less risk to funding someone like Zach Braff because you're, and I'm I'm not saying that you shouldn't fund other people. I absolutely should think you should fund whatever you want to fund. It's your money, but, but you have Zach Braff, who's a, a filmmaker where you know what he can do. You know, his, his style, you know, that he has made a good movie before versus, some random person who puts like a two minute clip maybe on their Kickstarter page and you, you have to you know run the risk of funding them based on a synopsis. Well, I don't know that there's really any risk involved because yeah, you're not they're asking for $5,000, not $5 million. Well, but I mean, you're not getting any kind of, ins- I mean, you're not investing for a return. You're basically donating. Well, that's well, that's how every, that's how the Zach Braff thing is. But too, I mean, so. but as a, as a normal investor in a film, you invest on the prospect of getting a return. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I don't know if you remember in the 90s, there was a, a Paul Hogan movie called Lightning Jack. <laughs> Do you remember that movie? I don't know what you're talking about. There was a Paul Hogan movie yeah, yeah, called yeah. Lightning I, Jack. I remember that movie. I um, with I, Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, and it was financed uh, by way of the stock market in Australia. 
and people bought stock in it to get the film made and yeah. it bombed and they lost all their money, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that was, that was, I guess along the same lines, like it was publicly funded and crowdsourced before crowdsourced was even a word. Yeah. You um, have to, go ahead. I'm sorry. But I, I guess Kickstarter kind of removes that risk in and of its, you know, in, in itself that, you know, you're not, you're not investing, you're donating. Right. And I think that's... And you're getting things in return, not just the final product, <laughs> but you're getting objects. But I think that's where a lot of people, the problem comes from is that you're giving them money to do something that they're going to to potentially turn a profit from. He, and, and that's what you have to look at, too. I mean, um, James Franco did the same thing with uh, Palo Alto, uh, and he raised the money for for it, but he... Was it the film or for the book? I can't remember if it was... I think it was for the film. But yeah, it was for the film, and he. Uh, but he gave it. He gave everything back to charity. See, yeah, I mean, but that you know, that's come on, Zach Braff, hook up a charity. <laughs> but I mean, that that's uh, that's James Franco's kind of a strange guy, anyway. But I mean, if you're you know you're you're giving this money to Warner Brothers to resurrect one of their properties in Veronica Mars, and I can I can see where the problem lies in that. I mean, you're I giving, have a big problem. You're with giving that. this money to Zach Braff to resurrect his career after 10 years of doing nothing and i mean it, i guess it's really not much different if you think about it than going to a concert you know by your favorite band i mean you've already got the product out there you've got the music so you're paying again to hear the music again just in a different <laughs> setting you know what i mean like uh, kind of uh I, so he got he got funded what 2.5 million through kickstarter Something like that, and then he, um, but then he got a, a like a kind of an angel investor after that. No, which was he, about ten million. No, he sold the movie. He sold the movie. He stole the distribution to Focus Features. Yeah, but he still he still got a a few more million dollars from another investor after Kickstarter. Um, I don't remember raised money. That. So I'm I'm just wondering why. Okay, so he raised two million on Kickstarter. Then another investor came in and said, "I'll give you another eight million, so you can get to the ten million mark that you wanted." Um, why can he just if somebody that could give ten million could definitely give twelve million? So why didn't he just ask for the twelve million? <laughs> oh God, that's that's pretty presumptuous, though. I mean, right? Come on, like somebody, somebody who could give somebody who could give ten million. They got an extra two million lying around. Of course, they could. Yeah, I don't. Where are you getting this information? I, from? I, I read it uh, a few days ago. Um, um, yeah, look it up. Uh, uh, second investor in Zach Braff's. It's um, not on the Wikipedia page. Well, there's. I took it off. Sorry. There's many other uh, <laughs> sources than Wikipedia. But, okay, so the I guess the issue I have with that is you're you're asking people that that don't. I mean, you know, Zach Braff, like you like you mentioned with uh, Brad Pitt, like he doesn't pull his money out of his pocket to make Twelve Years a Slave. It's just not how the business works. Right. You know, there there are richer people than Brad Pitt that pay money to make the movie based on getting some sort of return, and he finds them. Yeah, and if Zach Braff couldn't, I don't have a problem with him going to Kickstarter because it's a tool that people are using now. Yeah, why not utilize it if it's there? Yeah, and it's, that's it's, not what Kickstarter started off. Oh, with. okay, Mister. I funded Kickstarter <laughs> and have the idea of it. To me, the idea that this is an either-or scenario where you fund either Zach Braff or someone else is a, an absurd. I think it happens. An absurd. I think I don't it has assumption. I don't know that's what, that it's absurd, but I think it is. I think it's in play. I think it's definitely in play. I don't know. I mean, you can't generalize it though. You can't make that as a blanket. But you statement. can't also pretend that it doesn't happen. It happens. <laughs> People are going to give it to him and not to somebody else. So who cares? Let them do it. It's. I mean, they want to see a movie from Zach Braff. Let them do it. What does it hurt? Why is it hurting they, you? I, so you know that everybody that gave to Zach Braff 
is a Zach Braff fan truly, and they want to see a product from the Garden State director. No, that's not happening. Why? Okay, then They're why getting would they give? A, because it's a gimmick. They're getting on the website and going, oh, this is what everybody's talking about. I'm going to get five bucks because I want to be part of this thing. And oh, maybe five American dollars? Wow. You're saying, you're saying $10. You're well, saying yeah. you know anything helps. Well, I mean, yeah. I think the $5 is going to help. I Zach mean, what are the, what are the, he's going to take it. <laughs> but, I mean, what was the what was the, the, the point, do you think, behind the Veronica Mars? Uh, other, you, you can't have been the only point of view, right? Like, there's not people that were like, oh, I just want to see more Veronica Mars. There were people that were like, hey, this is a big movie. I'm hearing about it a lot. I want to finance it. Well, I think I think that that, that could be partially true. Uh, I definitely think that the majority of the movie was funded by fans. Um, I don't. I, I, I think that's probably a safe assumption. Um, I don't know why someone would give a hundred bucks to Zach Braff, having not been a fan and seeing his movies, and just because some guy, some someone's talking about it on the internet. And by the way, when people were talking about it on the internet, Kiko. It was almost overwhelmingly negative. So I don't know why anyone would go, oh, everyone's shit-talking this idea. I'm going to go put $1,000 into it. But then how do you explain the potato salad thing? Exactly. The potato I mean, salad? Because it's, it's just silly. It's, yeah, it's so silly Zach Braff's thing. idea. It's silly. Well, but I, I mean, I don't think Zach Braff's idea is silly. But I think people will people hear about things. I mean, we're kind of in a bubble, the three of us. And I think probably the people we know are in the same bubble where it's like we're connected to what's going on. You know, we hear about uh, a film, you know, way in advance and we know what the, the process is to get it financed or, or for it to, to, you know, suffer through, you know, being in turnaround or whatever. But I think the average person is like, oh, hey, look, it's Zach Brack movie. I'm going to go give some money to it. You know, this is a big Hollywood movie because people just want to be a part of stuff. That's you know? fine. But I think that. I, and see, I love I love Kickstarter. I love the idea of it. I love the idea of funding people who are new to this, new to making movies, and they get their films funded. I think it's awesome. I think it's an awesome fundraising tool. On the other hand, you're you're Kiko. You're basically telling people what to do with their money, and that's nobody's place to do. If people want to give their money up to Zach Braff, if they want to give it up to some freaking art student from you know San Diego who's trying to make a move a documentary about you know. You know, I don't know, ice cream sundays. I, I don't know. In, <laughs> that I would pay for. Exactly. So it's, it doesn't matter who it is. It's it's these people's money, and they have the right to do with it whatever they want. And I'm not saying that they don't have the right to do whatever they want. I just don't. It doesn't go to that. It doesn't go back to them. It just it, it starts with Zach Braff. But if Zach Braff, if this is the only way that he can make the exact movie that he wants to make, then let him utilize all of the tools that are readily available for him. I, I mean, I really do think that that a lot of people's issue is that you're making something, you're donating something that somebody's making for profit for themselves. And I think <clears throat> the attitude that most people have on Kickstarter is that, oh, here's some little indie project that's not really going to go anywhere. But when you get something high profile like Zach Braff, a Zach Braff film or the Veronica Mars thing, you know that this is going to make some money. Maybe it just covers its production cost, but maybe, maybe it's uh, you know, maybe it's a modest hit. And it, cause I think the Zach Braff movie is going to be a bigger, bigger deal than the Veronica Mars thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it just already seems cause Veronica Mars had a weird distribution too, right? Like it was well, at it, South by Southwest and then on VOD yeah. and then in theaters. Yeah. <clears throat> and the theater we saw, you know, wish I was here. It was pretty full. Yeah, it was on it for a Saturday afternoon. Um, I think that's where people don't really see the, you know, they, there's a disconnect in that they think these, these little projects aren't 
are just passion projects. But, and but they don't see the big projects as passion projects either. So I think that's where it's kind of the But you the, could the, the the thing I I I see what you're I see where you're going with that. But what about the idea of funding a tiny little indie movie that what if it gets picks uh has distribution picked up and it comes well, on right. to be an indie sleeper hit then you could say that about someone who raised, you know, $100,000 yeah. and if they make, you know, like two or three million dollars on a hundred dollar investment from fans, then it's the same idea that you're paying for someone to profit. So yeah. I come come back to me when that happens. That that's never going to happen. I I think it's just going to happen. I think it's it's going I, it's, to happen. There's eventually. just there's. You think a hundred dollar movie is going to come back? And, I didn't say a hundred dollars. I said a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, a hundred thousand dollar movie is going to come back and make. Well, I don't know. What was the budget on uh, on like those horror movies? What was the first the first paranormal activity? Paranormal activity was pretty low. Yeah, I don't know like, what it was, but me... it was. I mean, it was less than a million, I believe. Yeah. I, there's gonna be there's going to be a tipping point where something funded by Kickstarter that's not high profile at the beginning is going to to hit. I mean, it's just there's the budget for uh, for paranormal activity was fifteen thousand dollars, and it made <laughs> oh in the God. box office a hundred and ninety three million dollars. Yeah. So that's going to happen. There's going to be something that that hits that's low budget, that's low profile, funded by Kickstarter. Funded by Kickstarter. And I mean, hell, even video games the movie. Well, shit. I mean, there's a, a short film that was funded by Kickstarter won an Oscar a couple of years ago. So it's not like, you know, everything that Kickstarter's churning out is like some, you know, shitty little uh indie project that 100 people see. It's there's there's actually some momentum becoming uh, It's it's uh I guess it's another kind of big blow up in the face of Hollywood uh, that was spurred on. I, the last one I can remember was the digital filmmaking revolution. You know, the early two thousands when anybody could could edit a film at their home. You know, or edit on a you know on a plane flying to L.A. You know, they're editing on their laptop. I think this is probably the next next step in that. And you know, it doesn't even have to be a big hit. You know, it could be just a VOD hit or a you know something that hits DVD or, or lives on Netflix forever. Uh, I. I I wonder, I don't have any statistics on this, but how many of, of the things on Netflix were funded by crowdsourcing like Kickstarter or mm-hmm. Indiegogo or something yeah. like that? Um, I, it's just it's the next step, I think. Yeah, it's, 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 you're exactly right. It is, uh, it is um, a new way. It, it's just how the industry is adapting, and it's, a, it's, it's, the, next, you're, it's the next logical step, really. It's, it's just another way to make a movie, and it's... Yeah. What would change your mind, Kiko? Anything? Um, I want Steven Spielberg to do a Kickstarter. No, oh, but can you imagine the the outrage that would cause? <laughs> yeah, more than him, you know, you know, you know, needlessly killing that Triceratops uh, in that <laughs> and that and the on. shark like forty years ago. Remember that? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> stop. <laughs> but Kiko, it's like. You know, what happens when this scenario we're talking about happens where you want it to be for the people who don't have a chance? What happens when they make that huge profit because it's eventually going to happen? Are you just going to be uh, team anti-Kickstarter forever? I guess I'll have to take it as it comes. I mean, I don't see that happening. I mean, you're saying that it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it will. See, like I've I've uh, been a fan of the stuff uh, – I'm a fan of uh, Riff Tracks. If you're familiar with Riff Tracks, it's kind of the evolution of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do a Kickstarter every year to raise funds to buy the rights to to uh, do a live show riffing a popular movie. Because they get a lot of B-movies, right. you know, the, the junky crap like Sharknado and stuff. But then they raise funds to do 
they raised funds this year to do Godzilla, the 1998 version. <laughs> yeah. And it, it costs money to, to, to buy the rights from the studio to then be able to do it, the live show. And I, I, I can, I mean, obviously they're a much smaller company, but they are, they do have name recognition that helps them don't, uh, you know, get donations for this stuff. Um, I've never had a problem with that just cause it's a, a direct result and it's something you wouldn't get to see otherwise, you know, cause they're, they're not independently wealthy themselves. So it's not like, you know, it's not like having some millionaires go like, Oh, I want to raise a hundred thousand dollars so I can get the rights to Godzilla to show to some jerks while I make fun of it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in, you know, more to the point of the fact that it's going to happen, I just think that I think a lot of these costs that come into making these indie movies, these smaller movies, is, you know, submission fees to Sundance. And then once you get into Sundance, all bets are off and you're actually showing in order to try to get distribution. Well, a lot of uh, filmmaking and ha- as someone who's done it, a lot of it is there's a lot of BS that goes into it, mm-hmm. um, especially if you want to make a film with like a real union crew and, and real positions. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's not unheard of for a short to cost ten thousand dollars, which is ridiculous because mm-hmm. there's not ten thousand dollars on the screen. Um, so it is it is an expensive proposition to make a film I mean, mm-hmm. unless you just do it unless everybody's doing it for free, you know, uh, and it's it's just the reality of how Hollywood works. You know, if you've got it like if you're if you shoot in Hollywood, like in somebody's friggin, you know, store, you have to have a permit for lighting and all this other junk. Yeah. I mean, it's just. There's just a, a ton of overhead in making a film, and I, it's not for everybody. And even for the rich people, even for the Zach Braffs, and even for the the Rob Thomases and Kristen Bells, it's not something they can just throw out there. I mean, they need to, you know, I guess need is a strong word, but they would rather somebody else foot the bill, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Kiko? Anything? I think Donald Faison should have been the executive <laughs> producer on this. He was in video games, the movie. I think he was. A, was he a producer of that? I know Zach Braff was. A producer. I don't think he was. But what uh, did Zach Braff do as a producer of video games, the movie? He just gave a lot of money to Kickstarter. Yeah, he was basically like, "Hey guys, just don't cut anything out. Just leave it all." <laughs> and I, did you see the the Kickstarter for video games, the movie? Like the stretch goals were to get a celebrity voiceover narration and yeah. and to get uh, which was awful, by the way. I don't think we mentioned that, but Sean Astin. Sean was Astin. And, but also, I think that video games in the movie only asked for like forty thousand dollars. Yeah. Is that too much for something like video games, the movie? I mean, would you, would you give to a project like that? I mean, I know you probably wouldn't, Kiko. Well, no, because I mean, who's I'm, I'm, I'm I just want to know who's behind it first of all. What if um, there was no? Uh, there's not really a name behind it. It was the director's. I don't think he's done anything else, has he? Jeremy Sneed. I'm not sure. Sneed. Uh, yeah, Jeremy Sneed's his name. No, I don't think he's done anything else. If it was Jeremy Sneed, and what if you gave to a Kickstarter like that with a, with nobody behind it, but then all these these famous people came on board? Like it like happened with uh, with video games the movie. How would you feel about that? Well, I think that I would want to know when those guys were promising to jump on board. I mean, if it came like way after the fact, then I mean, I'd be I just be well. Like, that okay, was well. that was the case with Sean Astin. Like they were they were reaching uh, it, the the goal for reaching a certain amount of money was to get a celebrity voiceover. They weren't going to get somebody famous to right. voice it over until they got a certain amount of money. I mean, should every it, it just? I mean, I don't think anybody should do a passion project for no money. I mean, unless you know, for hire like that. Yeah, I agree. All right, everyone has their price. I <laughs> would do. A, I would voice over a movie for like a hundred bucks. So, anyone out there? 
I'll, I'll undercut Cody. I think Cody. Whatever Cody offers you, I'll undercut it. I'll do it for 75. I'll do it for 50, but I, I have to do my Mexican man voice. <laughs> and he, you Video games. And the word, documentary, the word documentary can't be in it anywhere yeah. at all. Documentario. Yeah. Documentario. <laughs> yeah, Kiko would, it would take four hours to just you know, get through the <laughs> To spit out the word document, <laughs> documentary. <laughs> just, call it a, just call it a doc. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I, that's my fallback word. <laughs> all right, let's wrap this up. Uh, Cody, you love Kickstarter. You've uh, donated to... I've how, donated before. I I like it in almost any iteration. I have no problem with it. Even the potato salad? Sure. If this guy wants to make some like kick-ass potato salad, who am I to say, uh, you know, this this potato salad isn't worth $100,000. <laughs> it better be really good. Better be that mustard style, not that German stuff. Yeah, yeah I'd give it to him if he – it depended on the type of mustard. $70,000 worth of mustard, though. Oh, that's it's a, a lot, lot of mustard. damn mustard. All right. I, I've given to some Kickstarters before, and I, I don't have a problem with it. See, maybe that's what I need to do. I've never given a Kickstarter, so let me go find somebody that I really think is going to be... Yeah, fun like an inventor who's got a good gadget. No, 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 but I'm talking about movies. Full disclosure here, we did fund this podcast through... Exactly. Through a (laughs) not Kickstarter... What was it called? Uh, Uh, Booster. Booster. We sold t-shirts to fund and crowdsource this podcast. One that a t-shirt that I'm wearing. You hypocrite (laughs) Kiko. Uh, Yeah, but who are we? Come on. And I know Kiko's got the money to pay for all, oh, the, yeah. all the the, yeah. the nice velvet chair he's sitting in. Yeah, we could have we could have, I mean, we could have done this podcast for twenty bucks of our own money, but we had uh, we went out and funded uh, this podcast through other people. And uh, thank you, by the way. And Kiko had no problem with it. He was rolling around like Scrooge McDuck in the uh, in all of our <laughs> proceeds. I don't think three hundred dollars would have filled up Scrooge McDuck's money pit if it was in like pennies, maybe. Yeah. Probably not. Boom. He couldn't swim in that either. That's like physically impossible. It's like a solid. <laughs> he swam through it like water. I'm not going to give, Just let's just put it this way. I'm not going to give Zach Braff any money to start his podcast. All right. That wraps up the show for this week. What do we got for next week? Next yeah. week, we're going to have Lucy. Oh, yeah. Um, we might have Hercules, depending on uh, if we if we make it out to that movie. Because uh, they're not screening it for Yeah, critics. not screening it for us. Shock. Um, might have an indie or two. We'll see, but uh, definitely, definitely Lucy at the at the very least. Oh, we're not going to go see the Fluffy movie. Come on, guys! They're not screening that for us either, are they? No, no. Oh goodness! We are privileged, and we don't see movies that aren't screened. <laughs> we unless we have somebody crowdsource our uh, tickets. Oh, that's oh a yeah, that's tape. a good idea. All right, if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at podcast at net, or you can call us or leave a voicemail or text us at 920-FILM-210. That's 920-3456-210. Yeah, and, and one thing before you give the final iTunes thing. Uh, like we had we had the listener question day. Please submit questions also to that email address and or comment. And also, um, if you have another question, if Robert, if you're listening – Submit it under a different name next time so it doesn't sound like you're the only person who listens to the show if you have another I don't know who Robert is. Who's Robert? We don't know any Roberts. We definitely don't know exactly who Robert is. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And uh, be sure to to check us out on iTunes. If you have – if you download us on iTunes, where where are we uh, in relation to uh, certain podcasts on New and Noteworthy? Well, we we moved down a couple slots. We're we're still – we're we're ahead – I'm sorry. We're ahead of a new podcast from Jerry Ferrara who as all of us – you know, we know because it's a household name. He is Turtle from Entourage, uh, but somehow we are still behind like uh, three or four podcasts for the leftovers. So I don't. 
that's a big thing now. We should have just called the show whatever is the new big show on TV, <laughs> and then trick people into listening it. Listen yeah, it. I mean, we're still. We should have been like Orange is the New Black about movies. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. We should have yeah. been Potato Salad the movie. Yeah, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're still we're still behind uh, being Blackbeard the Crossbones podcast. So. Come on, guys. Come on. Crossbones, the Marvel cartoon? No, Marvel it's the cartoon? John Malkovich pirate TV show on, on NBC oh, still. Cross- I don't know. Has it, has it I don't know. not been canceled yet? I don't know. I don't know. I don't work there. <laughs> I do. That's all <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know about programming. But yeah, I mean, uh, if you have, if you download us on iTunes, please give us a rating. And you can, uh, if you take a screenshot of the rating and send it to us at podcast at cinesnob.net, you'll be entered to win some fabulous prizes. We have some DVDs, some Blu rays, some autographed Power Rangers items. Uh, so please give us a rating. Let us know what you think of the show. Yeah, do it. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's going to wrap up the show this week. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And I'm Zach Braff. I mean, Kiko Martinez. Thank you for listening to this Cine Snob podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.